Hello, welcome to Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. This is episode 152 of the show. My name's Stephen Hill and I'm joined by Renfrey Deadman. Renfrey, got a few questions for you while you're eating whatever that shit is that you're eating in your mouth. What are you eating? It's um, raspberry and yogurt and pineapple. Unbelievable that you've been on the phone to me or on, the, on this Zoom call to me for at least 10 minutes now and you've not put a single solitary bite of that into your mouth until we started recording the show. What, what, why, why would you do that to me and yourself and our listeners? We pressed record and, um, um, and we did our little countdown tap thing that we need to do, uh, which mm-hmm. you guys never hear. And then I went, oh shit, I need some sustenance for the show because we've got a shitload to talk about today. And I thought, I'm going to chuck some fruit in my mouth quickly before Steve introduces me. But you did it quite quickly. So I did. It really? Well, it's because I've got a lot of stuff to talk about. And I've got some big questions for you as well. I'm going to yes, start yes. by asking you a couple, a couple of questions. Renfrey, do you remember uh, that tackle by Moore or when Lineker scored Bobby Belt in the ball or Nobby dancing? Do you remember those things? Because I remember but that tackle by Moore. Lineker belting, sorry, that when Lineker scored Bobby Belt in the ball and, and Nobby dancing. And I am under the impression that because of those things and remembering those things, I think we spoke about last night, we kind of confirmed that it was coming home. I think we are getting closer to actual genuine, genuine a chance to say that it's coming home. I think it's I think it's coming home. If you're yeah. listening to this on Sunday or Monday morning, you go, I normally listen to it on Monday morning. You might go, oh, the naivety of Stephen Hill. Because <laughs> it didn't. It, it, it got really close to coming home. Yeah. And it turned Let's back around. Sunday, right? Sunday, yeah. But we're, we're recording this on the morning after something happened, which I genuinely had never thought was good. Last week, I gave it all the gobbiness that, oh, I don't care if England do well. No, it doesn't work. Like, let, like, let's not fool it. I, if that, oh, it's quite, it's quite amazing. I care. And... If they win the thing, can you imagine if they win the thing? The thing, yeah. The um, European champions. Yeah, it'd be bonkers. And, and I, you know, I think um, it's been made clear that I, I'm not really a football person on this podcast, but um, I'd be happy enough. And I will say as well, I mean, despite having absolutely no expertise or knowledge in the game in its current state whatsoever, I was aware that Denmark are a very good team, aren't they, at the moment? So I, think, I was quite well, surprised that we got through, if I'm totally honest, but there we go. I really, see, I thought we were going to absolutely batter them, to be honest. I thought we were going to well, smash them. An own I goal. Was so confident. The only reason England's through is because of the incompetence of that team, really. I was, yeah. It's controversial no, 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 to point no. out, apparently. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We were the better team. Like, there's no getting away from okay. it. You can go like, oh, this and that. The own goal, if he hadn't have put it in, Sterling was going to put it in. So that own goal was not down to their incompetence. That is some the thing that happens. The penalty, yes, the penalty was dodgy. I, I, the penalty I was dodgy, did, but we I deserve to... the game. This is like third-hand okay. knowledge of people who... Everyone listening who knows is... They know. We deserve to win. We're a good... And Denmark are a good team. Denmark are a good team. But I, 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 I maybe I slightly underestimated Denmark because they are a good team. Yeah. I don't think they were as good as I thought Croatia would beat us in the World Cup and they did um, and I thought we'd beat Denmark and they did so I guess I'm right and I think probably going to lose on Sunday if I'm perfectly honest but that's England England in a bloody major tournament final that's don't really exciting like, people are going to turn off in their troves if you say that people really like football in this country apparently um, yeah I do. I like it more than they do. I've been. I have to watch. I have to. I have to watch Joe Dever at centre back for fuck for fucking two years. For fuck's well, sake! Like, don't talk to me about how much I like football. Well, you're you're a rock fan. You you watch football differently. Well, in a very different way. Um. Yeah. 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 Supporting Pompey is 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 quite difficult. I've got to be honest. Especially <laughs> I, over the last I, ten years. I can it's imagine. Been really. 
It's been really quite frustrating. Like being a but, Weezer um, fan. <laughs> Oh, I wish it was like being a Weezer fan. It's like being a fucking catch fan over the last <laughs> the last 10 years. Uh, anyway, um, I'd kind of given up on England getting to a final in about 2006. I was like, well, I don't think this is going to happen in my lifetime. But it has. So I, it's exciting and they're, they're, they're genuinely good. They're a good team at the moment. They're probably, I think Italy, I think it's the two best teams in the final. Italy and England have been the two best teams in the tournament. Well, there's a nice little message to start the show. Never give mm. up. Yeah, in the words of uh, me. <laughs> well, I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna make some like obscure old punk band reference um, <laughs> then, but I probably won't. Anyway, on this week's show, we don't have a lot to review that's coming out this week, so we've decided to delve back um, the last couple of months and do a sort of catch up of sorts of things that we've missed, not really missed things that we intended to review, but kind of didn't really get round to. We're doing six albums. And I'm going to say straight away, to keep the kind of positivity going, obviously I'm going to go into it all in the reviews. This is very, very different, everything that we're reviewing this week. Everything we're reviewing this week, I think, to some degree, is fucking great. This is an absolutely bonkers week. There is undoubted, mm. It is undoubtedly true that every single record we're looking at this week is really interesting in some way, shape or form. Um, and yeah, it, it does feel, I, I do get the feeling we're going to be narrowing on for a fair while today because there's mm. just a lot to talk about with every single one of these records and we're doing six rather than four. Go us. Yeah. yeah so so we'll, try, we'll try and get into it right now. We're going to be yeah. doing new releases or the latest releases, I should say, from DC Knight's Death Metal soundtrack, Brockhampton, Sons of Kemet, Spirit of the Beehive, Panopticon and Squid. Also, a really, really quick shout as ever to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Riot Act podcast, where you can sign up for any amount and get a Riot Ears review. We put a Riot Ears review out this week on Funeral for a Friend's debut album, uh, classically dressed, casually dressed and deep in conversation, the early noughties emo classic record, which we sort of felt similarly about in the end. Yeah, good yeah, to talk yeah. about that time. Good I think time. We clearly had a really good reaction to um, that one when it finally went up. Um, I, re I scheduled it for the wrong day. Apologies. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, really, really good reaction so far in the under 24 hours it's been up. And uh, just to let you know, I did send it to Ryan and he was very, very grateful because he's a lovely man. Um, I don't think he's actually listened to it yet, so he might change his tune. Uh, I don't think he will, though, because actually we, in the main, we were very, very like... That's a good record, isn't it? Really good record. So for any amount of money, you can sign up, you can suggest a record, and we'll do it on Rioters Review. If you sign up for our £5 a month tier, you get two classic albums every month, two massive podcasts, the biggest undertakings that we get. Renfrey's just lifted his finger as if to say, I, I want, I'm going to interrupt you with something which I assume is going to be irrelevant and covered in pineapple, but go on. I was about to say, I've just realised we haven't actually announced what the next classic album is yet, and I'm very much ready to do so because I've started work on it, and I'm really, really excited to say that the next one we're going to do is on Yellow and Green by Barra Fucking Ness. Yes, please. Yeah, well, I was actually going to throw to you to announce that but well, fine you just kind of steam done, he's done it? it there's also if you follow me on instagram i don't use instagram very much but there's a big clue to what i've picked after baroness as well now i'm not, not going to announce it on the show but if you do want a big big clue to a big big record that we're going to be doing after we do yellow and green there's a bit of a clue on my instagram am i allowed to say that yeah you can say that um 
I think green is a clue, even if it isn't. Uh, uh, I think I'm a clue, not to bring it back to me. Fuck it. Let's bring it back to me. I think I'm a clue. Yeah. Because well, you're a monster. <laughs> Very good. Uh, let's, but I think let's leave it there. But yes. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, that, anyway. that is going to be... F- so I'm really, really looking forward to that as well. So you also all know that it's a band that we both love. <laughs> so mm. yeah. It's going to be a double. So you'll get one for free and you'll get one over on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash right act podcast. All of the usual ones that I shout out are there available for you. If you have to sign up for that five pound tier, Beatles, Sepultura, Pixies, Depeche Mode, Foo Fighters, System of a Down, Glassjaw, Lamb of God, Blur, Cave In, Queens of Stone Age, Opeth, Gallows, Nick Cave, Guns N' Roses, Pink Floyd, Weezer, Beastie Boys, loads and loads and loads are over there already. Joy Division being the, the, the latest one. And yes, Baroness, next week you'll be getting Yellow and Green by Baroness for our next classic album. Anyway, let's move on to a little bit of news before we get into these massive reviews that we are doing this week. Little bit of a fun thing. I'm going to do the fun thing first and then the kind of two serious things after that, just to, you know, be a bit mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone in New Zealand has named their children <laughs> Metallica Slayer and Pantera. And has said it's not easy raising the three heaviest band, three of the heaviest bands. So somebody has literally named their children after three of metal's finest bands. I mean, I think we can imagine which one of those three children are going to be the most successful. Um, <laughs> one's going to be a one's going to be a lawyer, the other one's going to be a priest, and the other one's going to be a racist. Um, <laughs> but that's quite funny, isn't it? Like, imagine being called Metallica. Um, Slayer and Pantera, I think you could actually get away with. I mean, Slayer's a mad name. Hello, Slayer's my name's a mad name. Slayer Roberts. Like, what the fuck? But kind of, I think you could kind of get away with it if you carry yourself rightly. And Pantera, I think. I think Pantera could be a name as well. Metallica's not a name. No. And that... my cat's called Bonjour, and I can't think of that as anything <laughs> other than a name now. But even Metallica, even that to me seems like mental too much. Yeah, it's quite it's quite cruel, really. I think <laughs> to name your child Metallica. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I understand this is probably all done in jest and and good times yeah. and stuff. You, you but use the yeah, birth of your children as a as a joke for your friends. Yeah, exactly. It's like okay, um, but hey, um, congratulations. Uh, are these newborn babies? <laughs> I don't know. No, 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 no. Oh, she's not had triplets. She's not had triplets. <laughs> okay. She's just been dug out. There's also a picture of her on, on the, the piece on the enemy. And uh, she's the mum is um, is holding a gun. <laughs> in the oh. So she's one of them. Oh. <laughs> but still, like, just because you hold a gun doesn't mean Do you mean think you her can't... fourth child's going to be called Ted Nugent? <laughs> Ted Nugent <laughs> Morris. Or whatever that's <laughs> Ma- mayhem <laughs> what yeah. um so what uh band would you name your child after if um you were to have one or your I, partner I were think, to have one if, yeah. i think i think you could get away with calling your kid fugazi oh that's not bad yeah fugazi's yeah i think i'm pretentious as fuck um, oh, absolutely! <laughs> you know, I think you'd have to, you'd have to, get, you'd have to marry Gwyneth Paltrow to get it signed <laughs> off. I reckon. I'd quite like to name my child Fuck Buttons. <laughs> mm, 
<laughs> you might want to cut that, mate. I don't often say you should cut that, but to sound like Lars, Lars Ulrich's dad, but I would delete that if I were you. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, don't don't actually, don't actually, no, 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 it's fine. You you crack on. I, I just I'd want it to be known that I, so that I, yeah, well, I, I, mine was a fairly serious answer. You just went straight for the old paedophile angle, straight away, <laughs> two footed, straight in. Hello, my name's Renfrey Dedman. I am a, I am a wanton paedophile. <laughs> Shall we move on? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we should. I mean, this is absolutely your doing, but yes, we should move on. Here's a serious story. That was a silly story. So uh, a doomsday vault in Norway is being created to preserve the world's best music. Best music. It says a doomsday vault is being created in Norway by a company to catalogue the world's best and most beloved music. The presentation vault will be placed on Svalbard. Oh, uh, well, that's a little clue for somebody who's going in, I'm sure. Uh, and... <laughs> That might be. Uh, you never know. Hey, look. I mean, they might be, um, but I very much doubt it. To be honest, I I would say, I, I mean, it depends how much you can you can get in there. It says that they, they, it's going to be preserved for a thousand years. Mm. The master digital, master quality digital copies of the the music from the very beginning of humankind, documenting everything from Australian indigenous recordings to songs by acclaimed bands and artists. Now, I mean. I don't know who's it's got no other suggestion of what might be going in and it being Norway you would imagine they're gonna get a bit of they'll sneak a Dimmu Borgir song in there won't they you'd like to think so um I think so yeah absolutely um I, I mean I'll be totally honest we came across this story fairly last minute before recording and i'm gonna to be totally honest i don't have loads to say on it but that sounds kind of cool um i'm sort of it like the history of music is i hope uh, obviously to anyone who listens to this show something that really interests me and really interests you so um i just thought this is kind of a cool idea and i and, and you know it's not the first of its kind um it may not be the last of its kind but it is a nice positive cool thing and in 50 years time i'm sure it'll be a fascinating uh library of modern musical history yeah i mean it, with it being in norway as well i would look forward to some like black metal um geezer going in there and uh you know moaning that the beatles and elvis and marvin Gaye are in there and that fucking you know transylvanian hunger by dark throne isn't oh this is a load of old shit this is a load yes. of why is David Bowie in here and fucking <laughs> Bathory aren't well, yeah, well <laughs> yes quite. I mean yes that, I'm sure that will happen um, but you know that's still that, the, the, the overall uh, story itself is still kind of cool I think I I, I I just I I really like shit like this and I and I said uh, shall we cover this before the show and you were like yeah that sounds quite interesting so there we go mm. but yeah um, the, the picture that is on the mix mag um, link that we have got sent is very, very odd. It's like the Bosque album cover. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you look up this story on the Mix Mag um, 
uh, website. I, I'm not sure what the picture has to do. I mean, there is a vague connotation with Norway and a vault-like structure, but it's clearly yeah. just an image of something random. <laughs> but fair play. But it's this cool. Is a it's cool. This is a I... difficult um, story to, to picture, to be fair. So fair would, play. Would, would genuinely like to know what was going in there. I mean, there's 100%. no sort of thing, but I would genuinely be really, really fascinated to know what was going in there. And um, the uh, the campaign to have Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson replaced by fucking your ghosts in Chains of Ice by Leviathan starts here. <laughs> We should also say, I mean, this isn't really music related per se, but we're going to be here in the UK, pretty much all restrictions will be lifted from the COVID-19 pandemic on the 19th, which is like, I mean, what we know, it's like 12 days away from as, as uh, we record, it's isn't it? 10 days as this podcast 10 days. goes out. Yeah. Okay. Um, which means you would imagine that we're going to get those festivals that we thought were potentially maybe not, or maybe were going to go ahead. I guess if they haven't cancelled by this point, then I guess they are going ahead. Bloodstock, Reading, that's <sighs> happening now, is it? Yeah, uh, th- there is a there is a small element here of me potentially having to eat my words because I've been very kind of like I've been that guy at the back of the gig with my arms folded, going, "Nope, not gonna happen. Nope, 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 nope." And it's been I've been irritating myself, frankly. Um, but yeah, fuck me. Imagine how. <laughs> everyone else feels <laughs> yes 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 um but you know th- th- like this is oh i say this is good news this is we're actually doing a bit of assumption here so this isn't news let's be super super clear um but yes there it certainly does seem more likely and i personally the last few days have kind of gone I think Bloodstock might actually happen, you know, um, and try to make some arrangements to maybe pop up for. I think I'm probably only going to go for one day if I do end up going. But mm. yeah, I think I'm going to I'm going to pop along. I think it should be acknowledged. And obviously we can't present this as news, um, but just, you know, pontificating a little bit. I think it's I really do think Bloodstock should be announcing as soon as possible because they really are leaving it quite late and making it super clear that the chances that Devin Townsend creator and Judas Priest will be able to come over to headline are absolutely low to to none and I I really think they should be announcing that sooner rather than later some people might be raising their eyebrows at Judas Priest but of course half that band live in america america don't they so so yeah well they can come over i mean they can come over they just can't go home yes which <laughs> like you know are yeah. those are those bands going to be prepared to do that <laughs> yeah, and to be fair if they weren't i would say fair enough um so you know and it does feel like goodness me it's getting a little bit late in terms of I'm assuming them announcing that because I'd just be so surprised. I mean, as we speak, it is four weeks away. Is it four weeks away or About five that, weeks yeah. away? It's four or five weeks away. And, you know, that is going to make a massive difference as to whether some people actually want to go or not. And hence it's important. Um, I don't think it... I personally don't think it should make a massive difference because there are other like really, really good bands on the lineup. But then actually, to be honest, at the same time, I wouldn't like I think it's perfectly fair enough if someone was like, oh, Devin Townsend's not going to be there now. And he was a large part of the reason why I wanted to go. 
and therefore I, I, I don't want to anymore, um, mm. as an example. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, the thing is, is like what we should say as well, is like, you know, this isn't news. We Bloodstock is going ahead as planned so far. You know, they, they, they haven't pulled those bands out. So we have to assume that if by hook or by crook they are. Well, they're at least intending to get those bands. I think it's yeah. fair to say they're at least intending to get those bands. Oh, yeah. And also, and also, you know, I mean, like you just said, you know, you've been wrong before. You've obviously, yep. you're probably wrong about these festivals. You're wrong about um, Madonna's James Bond theme. So, you know, you are <laughs> wrong about a lot of things. So they, they may well end up having those bands there. And fingers crossed yeah. that they do. Let's hope that they do. And uh, I've actually got my, yeah. I booked my hotel the other day for Bloodstock. And I'm fucking buzzing to go to Bloodstock. Like I'm really, you know, I'm, I love, I love Bloodstock. Mm, mm. I, it's my favourite festival. I think it's fucking awesome. Even just getting to see metal bands on that scale is enough for me. Mm, mm. Like getting to see metal bands, like getting to see, um, you know, if Devin Townsend doesn't play in Skin Dread Headline, amazing. Mm-hmm. like that will be such a fucking fun time at that festival i think it'll be great and I particularly mean, after the good time i had at download i look at the, you know the british bands like napalm death and bury tomorrow and urn and i, I was i was okay. about to say i'd watch napalm death over skindred not because i don't like skindred but as discussed not too long ago i've seen skindred well you don't have to you don't have to pick fun. do you not oh i, th- you I don't have to pick oh i th- oh, okay oh good oh that's good i thought i'd I mean, watch both Napalm because Napalm Death are, uh, are headlining the second stage, so they they're not on the same time. No, no, Napalm Death will be on after the headliner. So like the nice. second stage headliner at Bloodstock finishes at like two in the morning. So hey, fuck. oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's great. Oh, okay, mm. fair play. Really, really cool. So good, good. You know, yeah. Get your mask off. Fingers uh, crossed. I hope. Fingers crossed. I hope. I hope I was wrong. Um, I'm still not convinced that it's going to be the full lineup that they mm-hmm. are presenting, but you know it should still be cool and, and, and i might be wrong are you going to apologize to the covid19 pandemic <laughs> <laughs> no okay, no fair enough no it's, it's, you it's don't have to actually murderous virus virus yeah you don't, you don't, you don't <laughs> have to apologize for that all right good um let's move on do some reviews we've got to get a lot of stuff we've got to get through so let's start with what is a funny little curio that we're going to lead off with dc dark knight's death metal the original soundtrack to uh, to coincide with the release of the dc comic book series of the same name uh i don't know much about comic books i have to be honest i've never kind of pretended that i do know that much about it this one is dc so it's batman and Spider-Man and Wonder Woman. Is that right? Wonder Woman? Um, uh, Batman and Wonder Woman is definitely right. Spider- no, Spider-Man's Marvel, I think. Is it? Uh, okay. Uh, oh, wow. you, I thought you'd know all this shit. No, it's I, definitely... Um, I'm the, not as nerdy the... as I look, to be honest. <laughs> I, I choose to look nerdy, I, I but mean, I'm not that actually would, that nerdy. That would be very difficult, to be honest. But... Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh no no you look lovely you look lovely <laughs> in your own way thanks and <laughs> so anyway look so it's uh well it's didn't they they did no superman superman, superman. is dc isn't it Superman's superman definitely, definitely dc, DC. Yes, yes, yes. yeah i know that so anyway uh, but that doesn't really matter does it it's, it's a comic book they've released a comic book series i don't know what's so special about it but they've used the terminology death metal in it mm. And they have released a original soundtrack to go alongside it. A kind of specially curated original soundtrack to coincide with the release of this series of graphic novels. A Tyler Bates curated 
uh, soundtrack by the sounds of it. And certainly he seems to be the mastermind behind the soundtrack as a whole. Um, just a super quick point to get out of the way. I think the really cool thing about that is Tyler Bates is clearly a very talented guy. But when I think of Tyler Bates, my most common association with him is the work that he did with Marilyn Manson, which, of course, is not probably something um, that... <laughs> he wants to be remembered for for the rest of his life especially considering recent events so i think it's super cool that this has come out because i actually think this will go some way towards people um hearing his name and thinking about other associations with him yeah i mean he's done a lot of stuff he with, has he has you know he, he's he's got a uh, a kind of pr a prior career to that with film scores television scores video game soundtrack all that kind of stuff but yes you're right i would say like for the average common and garden uh rock music fan like yes. ourselves probably then yes. yeah i would say he's that's probably mostly what would spring to mind immediately I think now so, yeah. what's kind of interesting about this is the closest that we've done because we've not really done an original soundtrack or a kind of compilation album at all really on the show other than a writer's review that we did at the start of 2020 on the Trent Reznor produced soundtrack for Oliver Stone's Natural Born Killers. That was fun, wasn't it? It was fun. And this brings up a kind of, I guess, where the kind of jumping off point for this particular record is that in the 90s, I mean, and in the 80s as well, oh, I suppose we did do the, we did the Batman soundtrack and we did the, Lost the, Boys. Um, the Fountain, and we did Lost Boys. Oh, fuck. It, you know, yeah, actually, we've done quite a lot. So more, actually, we? we've, we've, we've done a few, actually. Fountain's different just because it's all original. It's, that's it's a, a score. score. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but yeah, no, the other two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we have done yeah, a, so a we little have, bit we, of this. We have done a little bit, yeah. And yeah, I, I you know, but, but the 80s and the 90s, certainly like the absolute boom period for soundtracks. The amount of times tie-ins from films would become huge hits for a certain artist for whatever you know hold me thrill me kiss me kill me is oh. a u2 song that i really love what? probably their last probably their song? last great song i would say from batman and ooh. robin uh batman forever batman um, forever um oh last great song do you not like vertigo at all i don't mind vertigo but i think it's great no i don't think I mean, Beautiful Day's nice enough, isn't it? It's a bit yeah. When they get out there, chick, like, look, we don't need to talk about you two. <laughs> we'll be here for a long fucking time if we start talking about you two. Um, it's you know, certainly um, a brilliant song, Hold Me Through My Kiss Me Kill Me. I, I yeah. fucking love that song. Still, uh, The B-52's version of the Flintstones theme tunes, obviously be the other obvious one. Um, but no, but like, the, you know, The Crow, Natural Born Natural Killer soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, Judgment Night, the Judgment Night soundtrack was absolutely groundbreaking for the time, mixing kind of hip-hop artists with rock artists and getting them to kind of create a song together and write a song together. The Spawn soundtrack kind of followed a few years later, which was a, actually like a bit... I possibly think the Spawn soundtrack is a better record than the Judgment Night soundtrack. It just probably wasn't as groundbreaking. It didn't have as many big artists working together. Stuff like Atari Teenage Riot and Slayer doing no remorse going to hell whatever it's called that song it is fucking great i think vitro, i agree with spawn you. spawn again vitro and silverchair like you yeah. know silverchair were big at the time vitro never became a big no, band i saw them supporting didn't. a at the red in alley cat vitro <laughs> and they were they were fine um of a. Yeah, yeah, that, that A U two, get them in and get the A U two. Given up on mentioning Talk Talk, it's all A now. <laughs> just, 
<laughs> bit of a jump uh just to re just to reiterate um yeah the spawn soundtrack is is great Re like um see it seems a bit weird to call it underrated because people who know it and like it love it but but it's i think a lot of people have missed the spawn soundtrack i think if you're going to it new now it's probably dated a little bit but it was very very cool and i agree with you it's better than judgment nice yeah um i would also say the crow city of angels soundtrack the crow 2 oh you're being specific here okay is better than the crow soundtrack what Ooh. uh i, I i'm going to have to bring it up i'm worried that's going to be too much of a diversion considering we have shit loads to get through but but i'll take your word for it in that case it's but. got teething by the deftones on it it's got uh, proud by corner it's got a, a live version of i want to be your dog by the stooges it's got i'm your boogeyman by white zombie on it it's got filter song on it. it's really good it's got hole on it it's got loads of it's good it's really good so basically what we're trying to say is in the 90s you could make a fair old chunk of wedge and get pretty successful if your video featured little clips from whatever film it was that you were you know pushing at the time clueless another big soundtrack as it's well. got um bush covering wayne's joy world bush covering joy division on it is that any good yeah cool I'd quite like to hear that i might listen to that it's good this. Okay, cool. Yes. The Crow sound, certainly the Crow soundtrack, um, the original, and I'll mm -hmm. take your word for it, Sea of Angels as well, um, are very, very revered um, in this sort of realm, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, we should probably shout out the Queen of the Down soundtrack as well, because it's not one that I particularly like or have ever been to, but it certainly has its fans. It does, yes. It's all written so, by Jonathan Davis. It would have all been sang by Jonathan Davis, <clears throat> who did do the vocals to that film. If you watch that yeah. film, Jonathan Davis, and I've never, actually never seen it before. It's Aaliyah, isn't it? Uh, Aaliyah and um, the guy who used to be married to Charlize Theron. Lucky bastard. And, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Right? Yeah, and Jonathan Davis does all the vocals for that, but he, <laughs> they couldn't But they couldn't get it cleared, so they got a bunch of <laughs> inferior people like David Draymond and Rain, Wayne Static and the guy from Orgy <laughs> to come along and shit it out. So it's, but it's fine. Anyway, what we're saying is, soundtracks back in the day really good really interesting good way to get in a new bands good way for your band to kind of pump itself up into you know uh, the, the stratosphere a little bit really really good time and then good way to get noticed good way to get noticed and then when kind of the freddy versus jason soundtrack came along and it's just kind of remixed versions of songs yeah. that are already released on other records by yeah. inferior new metal bands they started to go down the pooper a little bit mm. and you didn't really see people getting that excited by the idea of soundtracks anymore and nowadays they're basically they're basically gone aren't they i think the bill bill and ted had a mastodon and lamb of god the last bill and ted yeah uh, had a, a, a mastodon and yeah. lamb of god song on it yeah like new songs but they were a bit and it's always like oh there's some like sort of shitty version of a song like or, or some b-side something that they some leftover thing well and they're not really a big deal they've been superseded by the world of streaming and in particular playlists i think and um there i think there's a lot less need to put together a soundtrack record now um of of that type uh, in 2021 than there was in, say, 1994, for example, when the Crow soundtrack came out. Um, however, the reason that this is an exception, in my opinion, and I'm sure in yours as well, is because I think with the Tyler Bates connection and his connection with a bunch of bands and artists and so on and so forth, he's managed to curate an awful lot of 
exclusive tracks to this and and really i mean i think the key thing is the collaborations that he has put together i'm assuming he's put them together i don't know that for a fact but the collaborations on this record are fucking wicked so for example health featuring chino marino who the fuck wouldn't want to hear that top dare probably but apart from tom dare who the fuck wouldn't want to hear that um uh, Greg Pusciato with Tyler Bates and Gil Sharon, the drummer of Dillinger Escape Plan from the Ironworks era. I think he was only on Ironworks, wasn't he? I think Billy Reimer came in for Option Paralysis. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. But yeah. Gil Sharon certainly, like, Ironworks is one of my favourite Dillinger records. And the way that Gil Sharon attacks the drums is one of the reasons for that. Um, I wouldn't go as far as to say he's the best drummer who's ever been in dillinger but there's just something about the way that he plays that i fucking love so i personally was absolutely over the moon to hear about that um andy beersack with maria brink uh, mm. Mm. uh well you know. this is the thing isn't it with soundtracks gonna be a mixed bag usually mm. gonna be a mixed bag of stuff and i think when you look at on paper so to go through it, let's go through it kind of track was, by track. I was going to suggest we do that. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So, you know, the opening of this, like, Mastodon into Chelsea Wolf into Chelsea, into Health with Chino Moreno, you get a proper heavy Mastodon banger with a great melody. Like, you know, I thought we might get... Uh, Mastodon can phone it in a little bit when they're just chucking stuff out, I think. Like, not on their album, certainly, but like, they, they rarely have things on soundtracks or you know, their covers or the B-sides and stuff where you go like, this is essential. And if, if anyone heard last year's Medium Rarities compilation, mm. uh, you know, uh, we avoided reviewing that on purpose because neither of us wanted to say anything bad about a band that we fucking love. So Yeah. And I, I, I thought what we might get from Mastodon kind of forever now was more proggy stuff or the more accessible Hunter style thing. Yeah. And although like this has got a massive melodic hook to it, it's got a gargantuan sludge metal riff as well and i was like damn this is like i mean you know it's not remission era mastodon but no. it's fucking heavy but it's fucking heavy for for like mastodon in 2021 it felt and like it's something great. it's brilliant yeah it's a great way to start the record it felt like something that would have been off maybe once more around the sun uh, which some people weren't a fan of i think that's a great record to be honest i do appreciate it's not one of their most beloved but it feels of that era but it's definitely you know got a um pace beefy. to it or beefy yeah beefiness to it absolutely um one of the great start from one of the best bands in metal in my estimation and in my opinion it's not even close to being the most exciting thing on this compilation which goes no way. no not at all i mean yeah. it, it, it's kind of trumped immediately by chelsea wolf doing her best disintegration era the cure impression which it is exactly is. exactly what i want from chelsea wolf mm -hmm. that that song is incredible right it's fucking brilliant it's one of the best songs on the entire thing i would say not only my personal favorite track on the compilation um but possibly one of my favorite chelsea wolf songs of her entire career and i i a big chelsea wolf fan i would say it's top five in her songs overall in my opinion it's brilliant yeah really really good that high piercing like thing is genuinely terrifying it's a it's brilliant yeah i love it it's well good. And then you get health with Chino Moreno, which is exactly what it would sound like in my wildest dreams. Yes, yes. Massive throbbing industrial banger with these kind of ethereal parts and a, <clears throat> a kind of intertwined dual vocal with a big Godzilla stomp. Absolute 
fucking beauty, Renfrey. A fucking beauty. And at this point, I'm like, damn, three, three for, for three, three. 100%. Three for three. And then along comes Maria Brink and Andy Beersack. And I was like, now this is the problem with stuff like this. Because you get into a groove. You're like, I love that. I love that. Here's a song. Here's a song. Of course, you're not going to love everything. But who'd have thunk it? Maria Brink and Andy Beersack. Black Veil Brides. And in this moment, I thought this is going to go to shit. It's big and dumb, but it's a genuinely great fucking rock song. Great rock song. Yes, I looked at the track list and I assumed that the quality was going to dip massively uh, come track four. Um, truthfully, the quality does dip a little bit, but the preceding three tracks that we've had up to that point are fucking amazing. So fair I, enough. To be, to be honest, for what it does, I don't even think the quality does dip. I think it just does something different. I think that song's wicked. I think it's really, really good. I like it an awful lot. And, and you know, I wasn't expecting to. I will be totally honest with you. Um, I've never really investigated uh, Black Veil Brides um, myself. Um, and, I, and I'm sure they're, you know, very good at what they do. But they, I've always just looked at them and gone, well, you know, you're not for me. Probably not, yeah. You're not for me. Um, and that's fine. Um, but, yeah, I was kind of like... If it sounds like this, it's probably not going to be all that offensive to me. I have no idea if they do or not, to be totally honest with you, because I really just haven't even gone. Near they've got that a, they've got a couple of real fucking stinkers. Really, that I've okay. heard Black Veil, but like I the, back when they came out, yeah, it doesn't really sound like this. I don't think. Okay, from okay. memory, but yeah. but no, I I I absolutely agree with you. Uh, Meet me in the fire. It's called is is. <laughs> a really enjoyable song i mean call it a guilty pleasure if you wish if you wish i don't think there's any need to particularly but i really like it yeah um does that go into the next song as well for you steve or not the gray day song is a fine rock song mm. it's a fine rock song i think it's uh the least essential moment of the record thus far but it's not very long and it's just quite a all right rock song i quite like it um it's undeniably yeah, said, yeah. it's undeniably catchy and to me it sounds like a cross between paul diano era iron maiden and the full-on goth era of afi which is totally fine with me and it's really catchy and i like it quite i like it quite a lot i have to say <laughs> i think it's yeah i think it's good it's another big dumb rock song but i like it it's good Mm, it is quite good and then you get a good rise against song which was on the album which we covered a couple of weeks ago yeah yeah it was i was going to say it's um yeah we, we, we we've done that but you know we were very positive about that album and if yeah. you haven't heard it and if and you sort of che checked out of rise against you might yeah. be like oh this is quite good and you might not you want to go and listen to that record which is a decent record yeah and then this for me i think we get an incredible run after this an incredible run that are all so different so you get manchester orchestra sounding sublime and beautiful i'm so glad you think that just yep. soaringly heart-wrenchingly amazing i'm you so get glad Den you think that just for, yeah. just very quickly that is a b-side from the black belt of the surface sessions and the fact mm -hmm. that that song uh it's called never ending i think the fact that yeah. that song didn't make it onto that record is unequivocal proof of the quality of Manchester Orchestra, in my opinion. Wow. That song's fantastic. That's that a is a B-side? Are you yeah. off your tits? Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Then you get Denzel Curry and Play That Boy Zay sounding totally unhinged. 
unhinged like the, is the word. The, the most unhinged performance we get on this entire record. Fucking great. And it's, unhinged, it's arranged. Like, brilliant. Yeah. Um, Karach Angren sounding like Bullseye Dimu Borgir at their absolute best. Like proper symphonic black metal done really, really brilliantly. Now, um, I, I have to say, I had not heard of Karach Angren before this compilation. Um, okay. Since listening to this compilation, I have checked out their last three records. I believe they have six in total. And they have become my new favourite black metal band. They are fucking amazing. Dimu Borgir but done to an extremely high quality beyond, I think, even the best Dimu material. And this song's called The Skull... Best of Dimu Ball. <laughs> <laughs> and this song's called Skull with a Forked Tongue. And the way that it's sort of spat out by, unfortunately, the guy's name is Dennis. That's a bit unfortunate. Should be like, you know, Neocron or something like that. But mm. um, he's like, Skull with a Forked Tongue. I love it. It's so yeah. good. It's so good. Well, good. It's got a lot of satiricon. If you like that yes. kind of stomp, stomp, thump satiricon, but with icy, massive bit like that, is Absolutely. the fucking yeah. really, really good. And then you get Starcrawler uh, doing a song which basically sounds like Fu Manchu covering Do You Really Want to by Franz Ferdinand. Well, I mean, I actually said to you, that is the riff from So Do You Do You Really Want to by Franz Ferdinand. It's like a rocked up version of Do You Really Want to by Franz Ferdinand. And it's pretty good, right? I hadn't picked up on that, I have to confess. But now that you've said it, yes, I absolutely see what you mean. I think after the pomp and circumstance of Karak Angren, I think Starcrawler coming in, um, I think it suffers in comparison because it's so much more kind of, it's, just, it's such, it's so different. And sometimes this compilation does quite abrupt turns and it works. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it does abrupt turns and it doesn't work quite as well. I think this is one of the moments, but I don't think that's the fault of Starcrawler or the song particularly. I actually think it's quite a or good Franz song. Ferdinand. Or Franz Ferdinand. Yeah. Or Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> uh, then Gunship with Dave Lombardo is a bit of me. 80s synth banger. Yeah. That might be, I don't know if it's my absolute favourite, but it's one of my favourites. It's a wicked song. Um, Do you know Gunship? I don't know Gunship. I don't know Gunship, no. Did make me think I, I might check him out. out. And I like the fact that like Dave Lombardo isn't doing the Slayer thing at all. And yet it's so clearly, obviously Dave Lombardo, just the way that he rides the crash symbol. It's like, oh, that's Dave Lombardo. It's amazing. Yeah. Like fair play, Dave Lombardo. What a fucking amazing drummer. Dave Lombardo is, 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 is good. good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hot take. And then our good friend Gregory Pucciato yeah. Sr. comes along with yeah. a bit of post-punk. Now, who thought that Greg was going to do whatever the fuck he felt like doing, eh? Because, <laughs> like, again, we spoke about his album from last year, which I think made it into both of our top 20 albums of the year. And it's it a fucking br a brilliant record. A record I the still put on every other yeah, week. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, A Pair of Questions is still is one of my favourite songs to listen to, just mm. if I'm sitting around going like... I want to listen to a song that I like, a pair yeah. of questions. Yeah. Just fucking absolutely banger. And there's Brilliant loads album. of other shit going on there. It's a great record. But he did. there's nothing on that album that goes kind of public image limited meets Stooges meets Nine Inch Nails like he is no. on here. No, no. This this is a really, really cool song. I, You know, I know I know he's only got one album out at the moment. He's got one album and then a bunch of other songs which have been on a bunch of things. But has, has there been a single bad song that's come out of the Greg Pusciato camp so far? Not I don't so think far. So. No. Has there been a bad song that's come out of the Dillinger Escape Plan camp? 
there's, no. there's not a single song that I could point to in their catalogue, whether with Greg or Dimitri and go, well, that's bad. That's been badly done and badly composed and badly written. <laughs> not one. So, yeah. Yeah. They're a good band. Good. Yeah, very good. I'll take. Show Me The Body are up next and they just go mental. That's yeah, pretty great as that's well, great. I'd say. I really was glad to see and hear, I should say, not see, but I was really glad to hear Idols sounding dense Different. and bleak and like back to the kind of crawling, nihilistic raw that they had on those first couple of albums which yes. i think was lacking a little bit on the last one absolutely this feels like one of the most experimental and downright odd songs that the band have ever put out and i think that is wicked um it, 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 the only song that in their back catalog that springs to mind that it's vaguely reminiscent of is june i think from um joy uh joy discover yeah joy. um joy's an act of resistance thank you um and joe talbot sounds like he's channeling nick cave far more than he's channeling i don't know mike skinner i don't know if mike skinner mike mm -hmm. skinner's not great you know what i mean <laughs> uh, <laughs> some of chris marky smith yeah marky smith yeah, yeah yeah um some have criticized idols for being one trick ponies and 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 to be honest a large part of their recorded output i think it's difficult to defend that if, if, if we're being honest but sodium does feel like quite a defiant fuck you to anyone who thinks that idols just have one thing to offer i think because yeah. it's I, I didn't even recognize it as idols when it first came in it's funny because i was listening to it when i'm doing something else and when that song came in i was like man who's this band he kind of sounds mm. like joe talbot from idols and then mm. i was like oh it is idols mm. yeah yeah exactly awesome go. and then we get soccer mummy at the end with a sort of lovely little shoegazy song which i thought was quite good as well yeah i i like that song but once again um just just a bit of a weird way to end the compilation to be honest just be just because it's a little bit on the back foot and it's a little bit chilled compared to what we've had in the previous 14 tracks and it does feel like the compilation ends with a bit of a whimper rather than a bang. maybe it's the happy ending yeah yeah and because and, this is meant to represent some sort of you know, journey in the, the, yeah. the graphic novel, I would imagine. So I would have thought Idols yeah. is a bit, and Show Me the Body or a big old fight. Yeah, And then maybe. this is like, oh, at the end. Sure, but again, like not a bad song necessarily, but just slightly weirdly placed, if, if in my opinion. But yes, you, you, you could well be right. It could well be to do with the arc of a narrative or something like that, yeah. Feels really nice to cover a soundtrack that feels like it hasn't just been wanged together and has instead been sort of properly cultivated. Well, this is the thing, man. I like and and I think this soundtrack's getting a lot of um exposure in places which, you know, normally this kind of thing wouldn't. I noticed um that this week, as we record this, um, it's actually the Kerrang cover story. Um, and it, it does look very cool. It's a bloody shame Kerrang aren't printing magazines at the moment because it does look lovely, the cover. Um, but hey, what can you do? Um but yeah, um, I think it, it absolutely deserves all of the attention that it is receiving. And we should say it's been out for it's been out digitally for a couple of weeks. Um, but as we record this, if you are listening the day it comes out, it actually comes out in physical formats in a week's time. Um, and I am absolutely going to be picking this up on something um i'm not i think i might go for the vinyl actually because i think that'd be quite a cool package um but um i think this is like you're absolutely right uh, what you were saying at the beginning of this re review we haven't really had soundtrack compilations or anything along those lines or like this for quite a long time and and i think you know there's been a part 
partly that's because it's like well what's the point well this is the point when you curate it well and when you put a lot of cool exclusive stuff on there some from some fucking great bands you can come up with something really fucking cool and i think quality wise this is as good as any of those 90s soundtracks that we talked about before i quite controversially to you said yesterday said that i think it's better than the original crow soundtrack well, I, I, I've got to be honest. I think, like, time will tell. Time will tell. Because there's because there's shit like on the, that Crow soundtrack. There's there's shit like, you know, Nine, Nine Inch Nails doing. Is it Burn or is that on the that's uh, on the Natural Born Killer soundtrack? No, uh, De- Dead Souls is is the Nine Inch Nails one. The Cure doing Burn. Um, yes, the the Cure doing. But I mean, the Cure doing Burn has become like a real sort of thing hasn't it do you know what i mean and my very very quick reasoning for that is because yes the the songs that people remember from the crow soundtrack are fucking amazing there are also Mm -hmm. a bunch of songs that people don't remember from the crow soundtrack for example slip slide melting by for love not lisa or after the flesh by my life with the thrill kill cult well actually that's gonna be my um when i walk down the aisle my wedding (laughs) not that i'm getting married but or, or or would be a bride either, but you know what I mean. It was a it's a fucking joke. God, get over it. My, go on, carry wow, on. Wow. <laughs> uh, I don't know what I don't know what I did or said to offend you, but uh, no, I, I don't really. really. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I, I, all I'm saying is is people remember the great stuff in nostalgia rememberings, and they kind of forget the not so great stuff. Not to say that there isn't not so great stuff on here, but actually even the not so great stuff is quite a pleasant surprise, to be honest, as we've sort of already said. Yeah, yeah, but what I'm saying is is that we will see if like you know Milk Toast by uh Helmet and like Pantera doing the badge and yeah. Big Empty by Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah. We will see if in twenty five years time people still have like oh I, I wish I wish um Chelsea Wolf would play that song from the death metal. You know, I wish Mastodon mm-hmm. would play that. We will see, is all we'll I'm see. saying. We'll so I'm see. saying it's a little bit like, because, you know, um, yeah, I mean, looking at it, like, For Love Not Lisa, My Life of the Thrill Kill, Cult, Medicine, Jane Sibbery, stuff like that. Yeah, you know, like, those aren't names that people will be like, oh, they're big names in the 90s, especially in comparison with, like, The Cure or yeah. Regent's Machine or Pantera or Stone Temple yeah. Pilots or Rollins Band or whatever. But we will see. We will see. We will because s- I think... You know, like I, so I think it's a little bit early to be making that kind of judgment call on. Like I, I get what you're saying. If if you like this more than you like the Crow soundtrack, that's absolutely up to you. I, I would say the the big moments on the Crow soundtrack for me are so big, and yep. they have become kind of really kind of huge definitive things in our scene. Like there's there's bits on it where people would go like, if I if I went to see um, the Cure and they played Burn, yeah, you you're like that. having a lovely time, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, of course, man. It's it's not a diss on the Crow soundtrack. I I really like the Crow soundtrack. I'm just I just thought you know it's worth mentioning because that's the quality. Yeah. I, I I think that's what we're talking about here. In terms I mean, of quality. I got some level enjo- of enjoyment from every song on this this album, I which agree. I think is that is very rare. I would agree to not be like oh god I want to skip this one. Fifteen like, tracks, uh, an hour long. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, really good, and um. Kind of a nice little throwback to a thing that... I mean, there might be people of a certain age who don't even remember that this was a thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it is, or it was. Yeah. And 
you know, fair play. It's very good. So well done, Tyler Bates. You've made a really good soundtrack. Probably the best. I mean, certainly the best soundtrack to anything for about 15 years, maybe a bit more. Probably. Yeah. Um, I'm I, just picking. I, I always go to like 2005 as when, you know, the music industry as I knew it stopped being like that. I, I, yeah, you're probably <coughs> right. Um, I, I mean, I think, I think, you know, it partly stopped being like that as well because around 2005, probably a little bit earlier, um, <coughs> obviously a lot of these soundtracks were, um, uh, it would be the, 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 the film companies who would like ask them yeah. to be made. And I think, you know, when the music industry went to shit, the film companies went, oh, well, we can't make money on that anymore. So they sort of stopped doing them for that reason as well, I would yep. argue. Um, but yeah, I think it's really cool that um, DC or whoever have, have uh, came up with the idea to do this soundtrack in the first place, not only came up with the idea and went, let's try that again, but did it really, really well. Like this is really well put together for the most part, you know, a couple of minor flaws here and there that I've already talked about. But in the main, to get a compilation of 15 tracks, which is an hour long, where there's something good that you can say about every single song, it's not only rare it might be unheard of is it i mean you know i can't think of one other than this um i've not tried to think about it that much so i can't off the top of my head there might be one i don't know <clears throat> i don't know it's not coming to me then off the top of my mind you know even natural no. born killers and stuff i mean natural born killers is really long and it's like 27 tracks or something like that and there are going to be things on it that not everyone likes but and it is it's brilliant don't get me wrong it's brilliant but yeah, I, I, I don't know if there is. I don't know if there has been anything, to be honest. Hmm. So there you go. DC Dark Knight's death metal original soundtrack is out now. It's on physical release. Well, as you listen to this podcast in a week from now. But anyway, yeah, so go and, go and definitely go and check it out. Let's move on to our next release, which comes from Brock Hampton. The album is called Roadrunner, New Light, New Machine, the sixth album from the US hip hop collective. I'm not going to call them a hip hop boy band. The follow up to 2019's very divisive Ginger album. Now, um, this has been a behind the scenes um behind the scenes what, what, what do you call it Renfrey soap opera not really a soap opera like a, a lot of a lot of um soul searching I think that around doing this Brockhampton album because I now listen I like Brockhampton probably not as much as people who I know who really really love Brockhampton but I like them all the same um before we get into what we are talking about just to kind of quantify that caveat a little bit it was around i think mid 2017 when i heard a bit of buzz surrounding them as a band and i went to listen to them and i think it was saturation 2 which is the second part of the three album trilogy that they put out in 2017 um which is a very ambitious idea to do a kind of trilogy of records across one year i mean even even Green Day took longer than that to do Indoor Trays and, you know, I mean, look how that turned out. And, and th you know, that, that trilogy of albums... I don't think they did. Well, they released them all within six months. Yeah. So oh, did they? I thought yeah. it was longer than that <clears throat> for some reason. Maybe it just felt longer because it was... <laughs> it so, might have felt longer. Because it was such a living hell. To... <laughs> I mean, uh, I've not even heard those Brockhampton albums and I imagine that they are better than, you know, Dostre. Yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, I just really like, man, this is a fucking really cool thing that this band are doing. Listen to a song like Queer, mm -hmm. Gummy or Sweet from that album, part two. And particularly when you get into part three, a song like Boogie that opens part three on that it is just an absolute banger i thought it was great 
bouncy, classic sounding, sunny, kind of OTT, borderline ridiculous hip hop. And I think, you know, as I sort of mentioned, the the adoption of the moniker hip hop boy band is really funny because they do lean on pop hooks and bouncy, like fun stuff at that point, you know, a fair bit. Um, and when you listen to it, yeah, especially when you listen to that Saturation Trilogy, you know, it, it's more um, fleeting. Uh, the 90s gangster rap and jiggy sound are way more prevalent than than they are, I think, in the sort of what I guess what we have to term as like <laughs> the, the troubled, the more troubled period of their career. Um, and, you know, I think at this point they, they have they, they definitely went to a place where they leaned on the soul and the boy band thing a bit more, which you know, fine. We'll get into that in a little bit. But um, uh, you uh, you kind of questioned a little bit, Renfrew. You were like, I'm not really... Like, presumably, I'm going to say presumably you didn't know much about Brockhampton before we started covering this record. Very little, to be totally honest with you. Um, I'm aware that they are... I'm aware very roughly of who they are and and yes you know i'm not a total idiot i have i have heard of them but i didn't really know any specifics about the band i have to say and um and i have been filled in now and i'm like oh okay i see um but um yes i listened to the record uh a good three or four times um and based on the the music that i was hearing and the sonics of it and so on and so forth alone uh i did question uh yesterday i think as we chat um if this was a album if this was a riot act album to be to be frank and i i wasn't entirely sure that it was and we had quite a lengthy discussion about it yesterday uh, in which you convinced me that there's enough going on here for it to be definitely for us to talk about it today Mm -hmm. I'm still not totally convinced that if you just take the music and the music alone, it's a right act album. I mean, we can we can get to that or we can not. If you, I don't know. Whatever, what would, but, what would but, be the the case for the prosecution in in regard to that? Well, I think um, so. I, I one of the things I said to you yesterday. I feel like the uh, the first two thirds of the album is relatively straight R and B with rapping over it I, i'm i'm reluctant to even say hip-hop because not much of this record feels that hip-hoppy really um and and certainly the last third does do some uh does go into much more interesting sonic territory in my opinion um and does it certainly becomes a little bit more um the eyes, the the ideas in the last third feel a little less straight ahead, maybe. And there's a few things that are incorporated into it, which do sound a little bit different. But I think listening to the first two thirds, I was just kind of like, I don't know exactly what this has to do with what we do. If you have a counter to that, then then please. Yeah, well, I would say like hip hop is an alternative art form. It, it, it was born from a sort of uh, a place that I, I think, you know, maybe when we first started this podcast, we didn't quite uh, recognize that maybe as much as we could have done. Like, for example, when we did our Fender yeah. diagram right act, we didn't have hip hop yeah. as a branch in that tree. I think at this point, probably were we to do that again, that would be something that I would sort of insist we added 
onto it. Yeah. Same with same with electronic music. I would probably yep. insist that we added that onto it as well because I think both of those things are they are alternative art forms. And Brockhampton formed um, very very in a very DIY, very kind of underground. Uh, in a very underground way. And I think they're happy to wear those kind of pop influences on their sleeve. Mm. Um, but at the same point, they're certainly born from un- an underground hip hop community. Like there's no doubt about that whatsoever. And that for me is, you know, enough to get them in. And certainly when you listen back to their first, I would say, you know, their first uh, mixtape, um, like EP, whatever it was that they that they first put out, when you go back to that, and you can kind of hear those kind of raw beginnings, and then, you know, obviously I've 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 just spoken about that that trilogy of records, which to me is certainly alternative hip hop, but just a it's 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 Blink One Eighty Two. Do you know what I mean? I think what we've got here with Brock with Brockhampton and with this album Roadrunner is sort of a a site a self titled Blink One Eighty Two album of sorts. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's um. I mean, to kind of fill in a few of the gaps, like in can terms I, of can where... I, can gone. I just do a minor deviation before we do that? Do you understand where I'm coming from having no prior knowledge of this band and just listening to this album? Do you understand where I'm coming from where I go, is this hip-hop? Uh, at points, okay. yeah. At points. Okay. I think, well... I'm going to, I'm just, let me do the, I'll just, I'll, okay. I'll come back to that in two seconds. I just want to say for where we get to now, because I've kind of just called this like the self-titled Blink album. And I feel like I'm going to have to fucking really, really have to like justify that. So they were, a, you know, they were a big deal. After that trilogy of albums, it felt like, you know, they signed a $15 million deal with RCA Records and it very much looked like they were going to cross over into the mainstream. And to be fair, they did cross over into the mainstream, but the scheduled follow-up album, Puppy, was binned off after a series of, you know, pretty... Again, we're not going to get into sort of sexual assault allegations and stuff, but former member Amir Van left the band, which meant Puppy, as a record, was shelved. And I think he this was, is... He the, was the founding member, wasn't he? He was the founding mm. member, yeah. And I think it's uh, the fork in the road for Brockhampton's career because Iridescence, the follow-up that we did get to, to the trilogy got to number one on the, on the US Billboard 200, which is obviously massive for them. But that mud has sort of stuck on them a little bit. And I think they appear to have suffered, I think, a pretty quick decline um, in terms of not just like, uh, not just their commercial reach, which I think has def- like undeniably has definitely suffered quite a lot, but I, which is weird because those albums feel that have come in the aftermath probably feel more like like you say like pop albums if you look at them mm. on a totally surface level um kevin abstract of the band has tweeted that there's going to be two brockhamptons this year and then the band will call it quits and that kind of rise and development of emo rap on one side and then the rise of more experimental hip-hop on the other side i think sort of they, they've taken a battering from from both sides of that of, of that the kind of the 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 popularity of both of those things, I think, Brockhampton. So this is an interesting record to talk about. And again, before we start, here's what I think as sort of broadly regarding this record. I often feel in hip hop, when you try and become more inward and introspective, you go one of two ways. So we've spoken about Kanye West's 808 and Heartbreaks. We've spoken briefly about Psychodrama by, by Dave. 
and, and a bunch of other stuff as well. But they're like this kind of that minimalist, tight, quiet, experimental record that is really, yeah, very introspective is one way that a lot of these artists go. The other way is to turn into quite kind of saccharine R&B and soul as well. And it tends to be one way or the other. Myself personally, I think I would have to say I prefer the, the first way rather than the second way. And, you know, we were talking a lot about... We were talking a lot about R&B and soul influences with Tyler, the creator, last last, last week. Yeah. And that's all good and fine, but I think you kind of need to do something f- with that as well. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I said at the start of this review, Ginger was divisive. When I say divisive, I mean, for me, it really lacked anything that initially attracted me to Brockhampton in the first place. They've right. always had that kind of boy band thing, but I felt like when they changed they've thrown the baby out with the bathwater a little bit on that previous record. So I was kind of interested to know if they were going to travel further down that road or if they were going to backtrack a little bit. And I think what we've, what we've got with um, broadly what we've got with Roadrunner, New Light, New Machine is we've got a fairly promising uh, backtracking, not even backtracking because that makes it sound like they're, that makes it sound like they're they're kind of you know they're 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 just sort of going backwards or whatever. But I think what we've got is a much more cohesive and more interesting to my ears seesaw of styles, which makes me think that after the the kind of battering that Brockhampton have taken over the last couple of years, it doesn't feel like they've completely nailed it. But I think if there's two albums and then quit, I think that's kind of a shame because I think what we've got here is a is a, is a kind of promising left turn, which hasn't completely made me go, oh, they're back. But it's made me go, oh, then they feel like they're starting to kind of tentatively step back into the thing, into the realm that that made them so exciting on that trilogy of records. But they haven't quite managed it yet. And also, and if they split up, you know, they they might never get a chance to do that but um you know there's there's also been a lot of talk about the fact that um you know kevin abstract who's kind of the main guy i would say there's a, there's a lot of soul searching and a lot of lyrics about his sexuality and his upbringing on this record and a lot of quite personal stuff on this record and that's great in theory um but it can be difficult musically sometimes to be able to to get that really right. And a lot of people have got that really right over the last few years. And broadly speaking, I think this is not the most confident Brockhampton album I've heard. Okay. Um, Just to be clear on everything that you were saying, I mean, something you were saying about three minutes ago, actually, but Ginger, their last (laughs) record. That's okay. Um, Ginger, their last record, um, you personally were not a fan. Is that what you're, that's where you're coming from, is it? No, not at all? No, no, not really. Total bum? I mean, total bum seems harsh. It's not what, you know, it's it's like, I don't know. It's like Bon Jovi releasing a grunge album, I think. I mean, it's not quite like it's not quite like that, but it's yeah. I mean, I've made it sound a lot worse than it actually is. To be okay. fair, I think it 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 that it's not a lot of fun. It's just not much fun that record, and you know that's fine. But you know there there are people doing the introspective, not fun hip hop, you know R and B influenced hip hop thing, who are doing it with unbelievable 
artistic creativity and i don't think that that album does that mm. okay um when you brought this in as a suggestion to to cover um you did warn me that there was plenty on this album that i probably wouldn't like uh and you're right steve <laughs> um but that's not to say that there isn't anything of interest on this album at all um I just think that for me, the things that are interesting on it are certainly for the first two thirds, extraordinarily fleeting. And then as mm -hmm. I've already kind of, um, as I've already sort of indicated, I think from the last third, basically from track nine, I believe, what's the occasion? Basically, some guitar comes in and I go, oh, hello, I like this because I'm yeah. pathetic. Um, but, <laughs> but, but. What's the Occasion is actually really cool. But again, like just to sort of cut, I think What's the Occasion sounds is really cool and it sounds like it's saying something. But I've got to be honest, I can't quite work out exactly what they're trying to say. And I find that there's no, I've no idea. A, a little bit of that fleeting, like, come on, man, I want to know exactly yeah. what the meat of this problem is. But yeah. they kind of skirt around it a little bit. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, but musically, I, I do like What's the Occasion. I think it's a, it's a cool song. Well, I really like it because it has that really cool grungy guitar part that comes in. And then mm. like partway through the, the piano. song, it goes into this very cool Elton John piano part, which is mm. so unexpected. But actually, you know, really genuinely brilliantly composed and really well put together and, and again yeah unexpected and i was like well fair fucking play that that's cool you know i can't can't deny that i like that a lot um and there are other bits and pieces there are other um parts to this record that i do like very very much um almost all on the last third i have to say um I'm a fucking idiot and I don't have the track listing up. Give me two seconds. I've got it in front of me. What exactly are you looking for, M3? Um, a song that I like on the record. <laughs> wow. I would imagine it's Don't Shoot Up The Party, right? That's a fucking banger. Ah, yes. Yes. The, that is the, a great the, song. The light part two that ends the record, I think. Yes. I mean, that is the one point where I'm like, there you go. There you are. That, that. Yes. I agree. Him yeah. talking about, you know, like sitting in the car like being scared while he sat and sit in the passenger seat and letting his boyfriend drive and you're like oh my god you've y yes this is like yeah. this is the bearing of your soul yeah that i was kind of expecting to get some sort of result for i think there's a lot of stuff where you skirt around you go like you sound like this is meant to be very emotional but it's actually just feels like fairly saccharine r&b not in a bad way but do you know what I mean? Sometimes like, not, in a bad well, way. <laughs> I mean, sometimes a little bit in, a, I would say, a kind of rudimentary and not particularly interesting way. I mean, yeah, to, go, to, to, the, yeah. to go to the start of the, the, the record, I mean, I breathed a massive sigh of relief when Buzzcut came in because it's got Danny Brown on it. Mm -hmm. I think it's great. It's that kind of glory era of mid-90s gangster rap going into kind of jiggy. And because I was like, I, I'm, I don't want another slow starting soul. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I don't want that. And then you get kind of, you know, you get Chain on with JPEG Mafia, which I which I thought was good as well. It's got a bit of Dilated People's-esque production to it as well. And all of the references at this point are really 90s. I mean, you've got a Wu-Tang Clan sample mm. leading into um, Count On Me, which has got a real kind of bad boy records thing to it. Very solely vocal hook as well. I think Tyler, when we, you know, it's harsh to compare it with Tyler the Creator when I think there is way more craft 
in Tyler the Creator than there is in this. I'm sorry to say, Brockhampton. But I mean, I mean, is it harsh that they are going for? I think they are going yeah. for similar-ish things, not exactly the same, but similar-ish things. And I do think that undoubtedly Tyler the Creator is more successful at doing that thing than Brockhampton is. I don't know if it, if well, that is this, harsh to be honest with you. No, maybe not. I mean, this is pure. It's pure parody, isn't it? Yeah. Like Tyler brings his own modern personality and stamp on that thing whereas this i think is just i mean i still liked it in the same way as you know like i love the dirty nil they sound like husker do great yeah yeah do you know what i mean I, I still liked it and this sounds like you know all of the things that i've just mentioned but it just sounds like that whereas with tyler you were like oh good that's really cool that he's kind of taken that style and he sort of morphed it into something modern and something that's really representative of his personality i didn't get that um he's doing so much on this he's doing something much more interesting with the um with the ingredient they're, they're using quite similar ingredients i would say but tyler the creator has come up with a far more uh fascinating cake yeah i think push so. that a little like, bit too far it, didn't it, I? but you know what i mean a little bit <laughs> and like and again i mean we were talking about asap rocky a few weeks ago and fair yeah. play to him like i feel like he's kind of swimming on the song bankroll he's kind of swimming against the tide to try and make it interesting because it's just not that interesting. And then, and it's not, do you know what I mean? It's just like, it's not bad. It's just like, okay. And, you know, you get the first part of the light is, is, is again, you know, like it's got big noise, big beats, a guitar line. It's much more expansive and musically dexterous, but it doesn't really say anything to me, unfortunately. Mm, yeah. And I think that's kind of one of the problems of the record is that they sound really tentative of what they're trying to say. And they feel like they're, they're a little bit unsure of themselves. And, um, like I'll take you on with Charlie Wilson. I don't know if that's TRC's guitarist. Well done, Charlie, if it is you. But it's again like you know very bog standard '90s soul and R&B song. And there are so many people who are putting really interesting spins on that at the moment. And yeah, it's exactly. sort of a fairly unremarkable run until you know we get to the point that you were talking about, which you know really is um, what's the occasion. And then we do get a bit of a cool little run. I think what's the occasion we said is brilliant. I think when I, uh, you know, when I ball is, is very, very kind of, um, you know, I love you, mum. It's that, isn't it? It's like, oh, I love my mum. And that's nice, you know. I mean, the, we've got a lot of them. The sentiment's lovely. We've got a lot of those songs and, and it's fine. But, you know, it really, for me, like the, the best moment on the record, and this even sums it up, like I, I think the attitude of them a little bit, is don't shoot up the party, which is an absolute fucking banger. Yeah. But even that, rather than being like, really party, it's like, we are having a party and we like to have a party, but let's not ruin it, guys. Come on, let's be sensible at the same time. Like, you know, th that's that seems to be the thing. And that it's, um, yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because, I mean, after that, Dear Lord's got full-blown boys to men thing. Again, I think you just have to kind of credit them for writing a song which they could pull that off that well. And um, I think this album's okay. And, but it does feel like Brockhampton have taken a real battering and they're not, and they've had to really kind of like take a deep breath and go, right, let's remember what it is that people liked about us in the first place. And they don't, I think you can kind of hear it. It's not as bold as their previous material. It's not as confident. And you'd think with more time as an artist, you'd become more confident, but they kind of, they kind of haven't. That kind of, you know, I've seen some of the reviews and some of the reviews have said that, you know, replacing that bravado with something else is actually good for them. It's obviously a stylistic choice in many ways, and you're going to either appreciate that or you're not. But I do believe that they don't quite feel that that, that metamorphosis, metamorphosis has fully happened yet. 
And I don't, I, I feel like we're getting a kind of weird halfway house between a very, com like the thing that you loved about that band, but matured, mixed with the troubles that they've gone through, just killing them. Yeah, you um, you sent me a very interesting article yesterday. Um, I can't remember what it's from um, at the moment, but it was... It filled... It's from, from junkie.com. Oh, that's, that's my website. Um, which, I, <laughs> um, which was very interesting and filled in a few things for me, including the fact that... Um, now, forgive me, I'll forget the name of this record, but there was a... They got a $15 million deal with RCA, which I think you mentioned before, and sold... One of their albums, it debuted at number one, built yeah, top two hundred, and sold one hundred and one thousand copies. Iridescence is like Iridescence. the big kind of the big hit, and I, you know, I I think that's okay. That record, I, I know people would really like it. I would say the Saturation trilogy, I'd still prefer that personally. Yeah. Well, in comparison, this album, um, oh, how long has it been out? It's been out a couple of months, is that right? I think it came out on. I'll get you the exact date it came out. Yeah, the 9th of April. Oh, so th three months uh, uh, mm. as this comes out, and it, it, it's just barely cracked thirty thousand copies, um, which is mental. Which is mental, really? yeah. Um, and mm. they 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 had sold more records whilst independent as well. Saturation three did thirty six thousand copies in its first week. So th uh, thirty, like it's weird to say because thirty thousand like for so many of the bands that we talk about on this show. <laughs> 30,000 copies in three months. They'd be fucking delighted with that. 30,000, I'm assuming that's physical sales. I think They'd it is, be yeah. fucking over the moon with that. But actually, for this band and for where they were and all that stuff, it's actually a bit of a disappointment. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if RCA are disappointed in that. I mean, they probably won't drop them because they've only got one more record anyway. But, you know, they probably won't be too 50, sad. 15 to million dollar investment. Yeah. Yes. Returning a third. Oh, yeah. Actually, that really mm. does... That is a kick in the teeth, isn't it? Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. D deservedly uh, so, Steve, or not? I don't think deserve. I mean, I don't think deservedly so. I think you know you're, you you know you you're looking at a band who had to scrap the follow up to that. You know, when they were on, when they were like on the verge of being, well, not. I mean, yeah, it was. This is kind of a few months before they had a number one album on the US Billboard Top Two Hundred. Their you know, their lead guy had had to leave the band and that's going to fuck you up. And they still got, yeah. you know, they still got a bit of success because of it. But that's because I think it happened so close that those two things happened so close together. Whereas, you know, when you and and then I think it's like, well, we have to make this other album and then a ginger, which I, you know, is. And, and people don't have a lot of, you know, I mean, one thing I will say positively for kind of rock fans is that we don't often drop our bands to that extent. I mean, who knows if well if Brockhampton split up? Obviously, it's not going to happen. But you know, even on the back of Temper Temper, Bullet for My Valentine are still a big band. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I mean, I mean, Ginger is not as bad as Temper Temper by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. Like it's not. It's just. Well, but I know a lot of. One thing I'll say for metal fans, though, they are more forgiving when it comes to that sort of thing. And, and that is, you know, we, we've said our fair share of things, annoyance, had an, our fair share of annoyances about metal fans. But that is definitely, a good, they're more loyal than any other yeah. music fans. And I think just, world. you know, when when you look at um, post-Iridescence getting to number one, you know, the rise of 
like I say, the rise of emo rap and, you know, Takeshi 69 and XXX Tentacion and, um, and particularly like Post Malone as well being as big as, you know, th those artists became huge. And so for all the kind of more introspective, quieter things that Brockhampton were trying to do, you've got them doing that instead, which is suddenly, oh, that's new and exciting. And for the kind of big, bouncy, fun hip hop stuff, I mean, there are other bands, I suppose, you know, the, the kind of bands that we usually get really excited about in in hip hop on this show. Obviously, you run the jewels and your clippings and your backwashes. Like, that's a very, very different thing. But I do think, you know, people kind of took that thing and have have grabbed the ball and they've kind of like two people of two types of things have taken bits of that and have run in op completely opposing directions. And Brockhampton just sort of stood in the middle being like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I know less about this scene than you, obviously, but yes, that that sounds right to me, even based mm. on my far less knowledge of it. Yeah, and that's a shame because yeah. you know, like they were really good, like they were really, really not they were really good. I think they are good. Like you know, there are moments on this record that are fucking great, fucking great. You know, there's a few fucking great songs on this i would say there's at least like i'm just looking at the track listing now there's there's one two three four five like i would say six songs out of the 13 that i'm like that, that that's wicked mm. like proper and that's just under half of the record admittedly so we're not talking about like an eight out of ten or a nine out of ten no. we're talking about a kind of high uh, for me like it's a high six it's a six or i would seven, say isn't it yeah i it's think a, a six high or, six is fair a high six and or, or a low seven and but there's not really anything on it that i'm like oh my god what were you thinking this is shit no 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 there's nothing that offends me on this record there's nothing that i'm like god this is awful um, mm. And um, this is an okay album overall, um, particularly once the last third comes in. The last third is 16 minutes, and, and I don't really have any strong faults with any of that part of the album, to be totally honest. Yeah. Just the uh, half an hour before. It's just the half an hour before it, you know, which is yeah. quite a sizable chunk. Um, to put it in perspective, and I know I can say this because we have already discussed this, this is both of our least favourite album of the week yeah it is. but it's still yeah. quite it's quite good it's okay overall it's okay mm. yeah i think so i mean i'm probably i would be more generous to it than that because i think like buzz cut chain on opening one two is really good okay i think count on me is pretty good as well um and then it does take a bit of a dip to be honest i think the first version the first bit of the light like the first the light is is pretty good but it's totally like you know, like the light part two is clearly so far better, better realized, far better realized. But overall, you know, like this feels to me like, I don't know. We'll see if we cover, you know, the 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 second Brockhampton, the final Brockhampton album. I don't know. I don't know if we will probably give it a listen and it's, see. And if it's, it's certainly you know, not a given based on this record. Like, no, yeah, I, well, I think not. we'll listen to it and make a decision then. But but it's not a given based on this album alone, to be honest. But it's an interesting story. The very kind yeah. of, I guess, the, the quick and the quick rise and fall of Brockhampton feels like something that would have happened in the, you know, to a band in the 90s, like a kind of one hit wonder band in the 90s. Yeah. And this is a band who formed um, five years ago. It's a bit more than I think. It, yeah, five or six. Two thousand six. Yeah, 
it's all been very quick and they've re- isn't this their sixth album as well yeah but i mean they've done of, a lot th- they've done a lot but then you know obviously three of those albums are one album yes you know I mean. okay okay so it's a deliberate trilogy still four four albums in four years it's pretty it, outstanding in, yeah. in terms of in terms of the amount of output that they they have uh, i i think ma- that yeah i think that i think that led me to kind of think that maybe some of this was shat out a little you bit. said shat out to me yeah and i was like i don't think that's what it is i think it's um i, I don't think it's shat out i think if anything it's probably overthought a bit yeah that's an interesting take on it i mean i certainly don't feel that way about the record as a whole but I do feel like elements of it are are written in their sleep. I think they're second guessing themselves a little bit too much. Mm. I mean, this is the biggest gap between albums. That, that you know, a two year gap between out like you know, you just said in a what are we talking in a in a in a four year period they've put out six albums. Mm. Well, they haven't put an album out for two years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they've obviously, this has been a long time in the making, if you like. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's move on because I don't think there's much else to say about it, but it's an interesting, it's a, a the, the rueful tale of Brockhampton is one that I've been kind of wanting to chat about on the show because it they're a really, it's an interesting band and it's a bit of a head scratcher. But yeah. then I suppose we've kind of gone into it now as to what sort of happened. So there you go. Roadrunner, New Light, New Machine is out now. And definitely like there are moments on it which I think are really, really good if you're interested. But it's just, they're fleeting. They're fleeting, to be perfectly honest. I think that's um, Let's move on to our next album. It comes from the Sons of Kemet, or just Sons of Kemet. There's no the... I know, like, Buzzcocks get annoyed about that, don't they? <laughs> the album's called Black to the Future. It's the fourth studio album from the Afro Jazz Rock Collective. The follow-up to 2018's Mercury Prize nominated Your Queen is a Reptile, which was very good. I heard them when the album got that nomination, and I was very keen to cover this album when some, I knew something else from them was coming along. I was very keen to cover it up. Cover it up, not cover it up. I wasn't going to be like, you know, <laughs> who we, shot JR or something. We were going to whitewash it, be honest. We, yeah, yeah. We wanted to cover the, I wanted to cover the follow-up and here we have it. I think this has actually only been out a month. It's not been out um, long. No. Not been out long. Two months. It's 14th of May. So you're looking oh, at it again. It's been, a bit, it's been a couple of months, but I was really keen to, to do this. So I'm glad we've got a chance to do it because this I'm, is a really... I'm, I'm glad we did too. Yeah, I mean, it's a really odd mix of stuff, this, isn't it? We haven't really done much jazz on the show. I think when we did the Miles Davis special, we admitted that, both of us admitted, I think, that jazz is a little bit of a blind spot for us. We're probably a bit basic as fuck when it comes to jazz, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, like yeah. somebody Like somebody who owns the Black Album and nothing else. But um, but I know what I like, Renfrey. Yes. I might not know much about jazz, but I know what I like, and I really do enjoy this band. I think they're great, and I think... Just to get it straight out there, I think this album is really fucking great. Too. It's fucking fantastic. This album, a fucking fantastic record. I mm. would imagine jazz purists hate it, to be honest. <laughs> I'm guessing most jazz purists absolutely hate this record because jazz purists, fuck me, they're snooty little cunts. Um, but that's coming from you. Yeah, quite. Yeah, but they, they are. In terms of like, <laughs> I want a pure form of jazz. Um, 
yeah, they're pretty snobby when it comes to that kind of thing. This Inject pure jazz into my eyeballs. <laughs> oh. uh, this is a really interesting hybrid of lots of different stuff. I got this from Wikipedia. The group uses saxophone and clarinet, tuba, and two drummers to make their music and plays a mixture of jazz rock, Caribbean folk, and African music. And then from Apple Music, I got this. Speaking of the concept of the album, frontman Shabaka Hutchings said, I wanted to get a better sense of how African traditional cosmologies can inform my life in a modern day context and then try to get some sense of those forms of knowledge and put it into the art that's being produced. Um, well, OK, Mr. Hutchings, I'm in. That sounds super interesting. <laughs> and mm. it's clear as well that um, Hutchings is capable of putting those ideas across in an interesting way. I think it's clear from that quote and from that quote alone that he's capable of doing that. Um, let's take an example of this. Now, <laughs> I'm going to uh, my apologies before I do this. I am going to quote some of the lyrics and I am going to um, use an n-word um but i do think it's important in the context of me doing this i might yep. say this and uh you might go yeah cut that bit and then that might happen but hey i've i've, I've warned i'm saying this now so but i do yeah, think yeah, it's yeah. important i am a field negro now exoducing from these wretched plains poor holy palm water wash away this wasted shame blood is thicker than cotton or sugar cane i don't think you're ready for the pain i don't think you're ready for the change mate you are a field negro too son leave candence owens by the plantation foolish us thinking the overseer even had the keys to these chains how could we expect the dungeon keeper to make the rules and play fair this game I was I I almost teared up reading that out. There is something so fucking powerful about that. I think that is so I don't even want to say beautifully put because obviously the stuff that it's talking about really is so far from beautiful. Mm. I I just think it's so evocative and and incredible and I, I hairs were standing up on 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 my arms as I read that and and, and I think those words are so fucking powerful uh, and there's quite a lot of that on this record um a, a record which actually probably over half of it is instrumental yeah um, but when it does I, I was gonna say this i think this is a wonderful record and that what you've just talked about that kind of that metamorphosis from threatening beat poetry to full jazz and back with danceable moments on it is just it's a it's such a ride this record is such a great ride Very and nice the opening yeah. song like you say like field negus is so powerful and communicating the frustration of the black experience through throughout all time with this heartbreaking intensity and going from you know the slave trade of the past the struggles of today intertwining them and not making them with the kind of narrative um like a kind of uh, uh there's no it's not going from here to here it's saying both of these things are the same and they're they're currently still happening in such a way and shout out joshua idahen for his work on that and on the last on the last track as well because it is fucking brilliant and it's set and it is like you know you think oh i'm gonna get, we're gonna get a jazz album and you press play and literally within five seconds it is like getting mike tyson slugging you in the gut with all of yeah. his fury it is such a powerful unbelievably powerful opening to the record yeah joshua Amazing. joshua Idahan bookends this album in a fantastically acerbic manner i think which um grabs the listeners by the ears and just refuses to let go uh, there is no fucking way 
This could be considered furniture or background music. Joshua just grabs you and goes, fucking listen to me because I am full of righteous anger and you will hear what I have to say to you. And I will mm. put it in a really beautifully poetic way as well. Um, I'm really glad we're talking about this album because it features Koji Radical. Uh, Koji yeah. Radical, I think, is actually helping us. A British hip-hop poet that I told Steve about. Yes! You did! I do did. have some knowledge when it comes to this thing not a lot but i do occasionally um uh discover these artists myself as well um uh, it was a few months ago wasn't it i heard the james acaster perfect sounds podcast talking about his really compelling 2016 album 23 winters which i think you liked i think you listened to it i can't remember pleased to say that mr radical's turn is fantastic too it is really 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 good uh and speaking of guests there are a fair few on this album black to the future as well as koji radical you've got more mother angel backdoor d double e and already previous mentioned previously mentioned joshua idahen and i think we 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 should say as well we spoke about we we reviewed the more mother album from last year and you said that you know this is the most probably the most avant-garde like sorry we said the word again sorry guys sorry (laughs) fucking stop saying avant-garde but it was like it's the best descriptor for it um you got google you got your own thesaurus like you anyway um but more mother the more mother album was properly a head fuck wasn't it it was like pure jazz free jazz all over the fucking shop really really difficult for you to get your head around like really fucking mental that record but but then you listen to the the song that that she features on on this and it's got this kind of afrobeat thing with this propulsion and you mentioned koji radical i think is amazing i think koji radical makes that sound almost like a kind of nas song um yeah and i, I think- listened to uh illmatic for the first time a couple of weeks ago for for another oh. podcast that i'm gonna do oh ah. christ oh that's good okay fine um <laughs> The, the guests on this record, I would have to say, are to the letter perfectly complimentary for the record. There's not many, Sometimes you get an album and it's got like, well, we just spoke about Brockhampton and I didn't go in on some of the, you know, the, the features and stuff and be like, eh, you don't really need that guy. Or, oh, you know, we, I mean, we did Broken Records or with you know, David Draymond coming on Super Collider and you're like, <laughs> why, why are you here? Why? What is the fuck? Why? why? What a waste yeah. of time. Yeah. But every single artist who lends their voice to this album feels absolutely necessary i completely agree wouldn't change a single second of any of their contributions they're all fucking brilliant all of them are fucking brilliant completely agree and not only that i think sometimes some some, uh, guest spots on um i was about to say hip-hop records this isn't this isn't strictly a hip-hop record but no not at all but let's just go with the analogy for a second guest spots on hip-hop records um, are quite common and for me sometimes i think that gives the record as a whole overall um it, it it makes it suffer from not being cohesive and i think something i completely agree that every single second of the guest spots on this is are brilliant brilliantly utilized and um somehow it is cohesive as well even though there are five guests in total i think it's five five different voices five, yeah. that you hear throughout the 51 odd minutes of the record um it never feels sometimes it just feels like a collection of lots six, of different by the way i oh, was at six sorry. sorry sometimes it feels like a collection of lots of different people sometimes a collection of lots of very talented different people but sometimes it feels like that rather than a sort of cohesive whole and i don't i 
don't get that at all with Black to the Future. I think it sounds really cohesive throughout, despite the fact that you have these six different voices. And I think that's really cool. I think that's difficult to achieve and has been achieved brilliantly here, whether they intended to or not. I don't know, but it's great. Yeah. And at this point, you do feel like you are listening because you said like, you know, it's a hip hop record. Well, is it a hip hop record? At this point, you could kind of go, well, I can see how somebody might think of it as some kind of like... Uh, beat poet experimental hip hop kind of thing potentially right but you know we get after I mean it's after kind of um, double E comes on in, on for the culture or D, sorry D double E comes on for the in for the culture really really good and then we get a long period of instrumental music where they are able to do I guess the more of the I wouldn't say pure jazz but more of a a, a, a typically thought of as jazz thing in the middle and it's really great to hear what they as a band can do without without the you know the brilliantly effective vocals which have a tendency to be so affecting that they they dominate your attention because they're so great they do so it's great to be able to hear the band and how they're able to experiment and make this really vast sonic soup of beats and rhythms and solos and brass all kind of melded together Uh, you know like that period it's about a kind of i mean how long's the album it's just just on just over 50 minutes in length isn't it and you're looking at i would say probably um you're probably looking at about 20 over 20 minutes of the record where suddenly like all voices are cut out from it completely maybe longer than that it feels May, like probably at least bit, half yeah yeah probably longer than that to be honest but you get a big period where suddenly these brilliant voices are gone for a while from the record and yet Still sounds fucking amazing. Still weirdly. sounds great. Danceable. Like, go on. Sorry, mate. You, you're going to say well, something. Just weirdly, the first time I listened to it, I think you're absolutely right that those re- those vocals really do dominate. And yet when they gradually disappear, because they do kind of gradually disappear, they almost like float away like mist or something like that. I think I've got the wrong weather type there, but you know what I mean. Uh, fog? I know what you mean. Not sure. Um, and, wait, hey, you interviewed Michael Fish. you should know. Uh, and um, <laughs> and um, I, I love the flow of this record and the way that, um, okay, this might be a little bit basic, so you can correct me on this if you want, but I think it starts almost as a 50-50 split between jazz and, if not hip-hop, at least a Serbic spoken word poetry let's say before gradually waylaying those spoken word elements and gradually becoming 100 total jazz um (laughs) um and then it ends with the track black which is a massive sharp turn back to what we had at the beginning of the record it's a sonic mirroring of the album's beginning certainly that reminds you of the journey that we've just been on And yet Mm -hmm. the journey has been so subtly undertaken and so stealthily taken that you haven't noticed it until you're presented with bomb. uh, You're sorry, you're presented with black. And I tell you what, as well, we spoke last week about the title of the creator album being kind of spherical and being a journey that you come back to at the end. It does that. But this is a journey that feels like, I mean, again, I guess it kind of mirrors. Maybe it's meant, I don't know if this is a metaphor that I'm inventing, but it feels like it kind of mirrors the, Again, the black experience is that, you know, we're not really going anywhere. We're not ever really becoming like things aren't really changing. Like they change massively. It feels like so much change happens, but you get to the end and you're kind of back in the same position as you were initially. And how frustrating is that? And you don't feel that 
I mean, I don't know. Maybe I've just made that up. You know what, I, mate? I, I, I had not considered that at all, but I think that's really astute. Yeah, could be. And whether that's um, whether that's on purpose or not, I get the sense that it could well be on purpose. I feel like these guys really know what they're doing. Uh, that's a fantastic thing that I might not have picked up on for months, but I think that's a really good indicator of how great this record is and how long it will stick with people uh you know it, it, it that's a really yeah i think that's a really good point because i think it does at the start it's it, it, to me like it represented sort of going it doesn't matter if you were in america in the 1920s or if you're in brixton in 2021 you're getting the same you're, you're thought of getting and treated the same, the same way and we go through all of these wild emotions but we always are brought back to the same place no matter where it is or what time it is and yeah i i I, that's kind of what i got now if this sounds like we're being really pretentious and we're talking about jazz and we're talking about the metaphors for which exists within jazz and i know jazz gets a lot of shit we've already kind of mentioned jazz fans and stuff renfrey for being kind of pretentious and being up its own ass and i know some of you just want to hear us you know talk about holding absence or whatever um I'm going to steal something from the Pitchfork review that really grabbed me and hit home. This album is not about being odd. It's not about musical obscurity. It's not about us being kind of out there and musically uh, backslappy as possible. This album is about communication. They communicate these ideas with bare, straight-faced simplicity in a lot of ways. Even though the album is jazzy and musically can be quite complex, a song like For The Culture, it's really danceable. Really it's really danceable. great. And I do think if you're sort of going... I don't fuck jazz. Mm. Like you said, like jazz purists might not like this. Well, okay. But people who aren't jazz purists and have always thought, I can't listen to jazz. Can't really listen to it. It's too, it's too much. Definitely check this out. Here's your fucking album. Yeah. All day. Again, I am not a jazz fan. I don't fucking know shit about jazz ultimately. But Mm. I'll tell you what, this record is fucking brilliant. Agreed. fucking brilliant. It's a fantastic record. I think it's one of the best albums that we're covering this week. I think it's your favourite. It is my favourite, yeah. Yeah, I I won't quite go that far, but it's probably number two. Uh, yeah. It's not I, got Andy Beersack on it, has it? So it's not going to be your favourite one. I think it's fucking fantastic. I think it's a fucking fantastic record um, and an mm. amazing journey and one that, Yes, as you rightly said, you should not be put off giving this a go if you've heard the words jazz, as we've mentioned a few times, because this is undoubtedly a jazz record. It, it just yeah. is. Sorry, jazz purists, it is. But <laughs> yeah, it does feel um, relatable and um, it does feel, I, d- I don't know if easy is the right word, like I wouldn't necessarily describe this as an easy record but it definitely feels like something that you could sink your teeth into without having a you know uh, uh, a qualification diploma in musicology yeah 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 exactly yeah i agree i mean i i I actually think there are lots of parts of it that are super catchy super danceable really really accessible very very you know put like i say put forward with with total simple you know with a with a level of simplicity which is very very easy to enjoy it's not about it being oh got sim- simplicity like you know like oh it's stupid music or anything i don't mean that at all i just mean that you can put it on and and, and you'll go your your foot will start tapping and that's a great thing what's wrong with that couldn't, nothing couldn't disagree more anyway black to agree more sorry okay 
I said couldn't, I said couldn't disagree more. No, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> Fucking hell. So there you go. Black to the Future by Sons of Kemet is out now. It is very, very good indeed. Let's move on. We've been going quite a long time. We'll try and like motor on, probably motor on a bit more through this one. This next album comes from Spirit of the Beehive. The album is called Entertainment Death. Quite a good name for it. It's a great the, name for an album. It's a great name, and their names some get better. So it's a fourth studio album from the Philadelphia-based Electro Rock Oddities, the follow-up to 2018's Hypnotic Jerk or Hip Hypnic Jerks. Actually, I need to say Hypnotic. It's actually called Hypnic Jerks, an album that we slightly missed because we weren't doing a podcast back then. And um, I would have been doing a podcast at that time, but obviously there would have been an Asking Alexandria or Waterparks album, which was far more essential than anything that this band were putting out. I'm sure. Anyway. I like Spirit of the Beehive. They're a weird band. Fuck me, they're a weird band. They're a weird band and there is a lot going on here. If I were to try and describe their sound overall, I would say they were Aphex Twin meets Pixies meets Battles meets Beck, which is not a bad elevator pitch for this band. That's very good, actually. Very good. Um, This is the shortest record we're covering this week by quite a distance actually but it's got the most notes on it hasn't it? but it's <laughs> yeah but it's arguably also the most complex uh core blimey this starts in an esoteric manner doesn't it with a lot of bleeps and bloops and strange noises oh, it's a head fuck it's a yeah. head fuck way to open an album yeah it's almost as if it's a warning to the listener that what you are about to listen to is not going to be easy in any way shape or form and generally no it's not easy thankfully after a minute or so things do calm down um relatively speaking at least uh as a weirdly robotic delayed sort of chorus comes in under birds chirping before the song changes abruptly once again into quite a breezy sort of indie number um fuck me there's a lot going on in the 36 minute 41 second running time of this album and the most immediately impressive thing about it for me is how they managed to make all of the constituent parts flow together Mm -hmm. um play the first five seconds of the beginning of every minute on this album and i you will have a headache (laughs) i swear a you will have a headache and b you will get 36 different snippets of songs that sound totally and utterly alien for and and completely and utterly apart from one another but Mm. they do all fit together and to give credit where credit is due it is masterfully pierced together pieced sorry pierced it's masterfully pieced together this record um yeah and it's it's incredibly impressive yeah i mean like you say the album starts i think it feels like it starts like an absolute head fuck it's almost like leave me alone don't listen to me and then it gets kind of a bit more digestible as it goes on saying that right at the end or towards the end there is a song called i suck the devil's cock yes yes finally a set of lyrics that i can relate to (laughs) um but you know i i i I, (laughs) like i really like this band i think they are fucking jokers they're like and and that sounds like i'm being kind of you know, like I'm, I'm mugging them off or whatever, but I'm not. I'm, I don't mean I'm mugging them off at all. I think they're fucking jokers because I think ultimately what they're doing is they're a very, you've already said it, they're a very, very accomplished band, yeah. right? And very they're awesome. very, very good. There's a song in here called Bad Son, which I really love. And it feels like it just, it, it is this kind of lush, shoegazy song, which could be played on the radio, could be a single, could have been like a, a sort of hit thing. 
but they just refuse to compromise so they just deliberately keep fucking it up <laughs> deliberately keep like there's bits of in lovely quiet parts you just it's like oh this is a nice song this is nice and then it all goes out of tune yeah i mean on purpose and they deliberately go out of tune they deliberately stick a big load of white noise in the middle of it and i mean it's almost like when you when you listen to albums like hell's a thief or think tank like Radiohead yes. and Blur, obviously big bands with at a period in their career with an attitude where they're like, we're not scared to make music that we feel like making, even if it is quote unquote commercial suicide or whatever, or like Kid A more in Radiohead's case, to be fair. But they have a, oh. this, this kind of innate sense of what makes music work and what makes music good. And I think Spirit of the Beehive have that, but their self-destructive tendencies, <laughs> I find like for me, I I find them really hilarious. Yes, um, I totally get that. Um, I th I have a slightly, I, I and I do agree with it to an extent. I have a slightly different reaction to it. Um, I really admire this record an awful lot. I don't know Spirit of the Beehives, other stuff, so I can't comment on that. If I'm totally honest, I do struggle with this record a little bit. Um, to be fair. So I'll caveat this a little bit. An album like this, I think, needs minimum half a dozen listens before it even begins to properly reveal itself to mm -hmm. the listener. And I'm going to admit right now, I've only had time to give this album four listens, which does not I'm feel like out. anywhere <laughs> near enough. So whilst I'm not going in blind here, but I can honestly say I have not grasp this record fully as of yet so with that caveat i will say what i will say is that it feels really bewildering and not always in a good way in my opinion sometimes this album gives me the same feeling listening to it as that jpeg mafia record that we covered on another catch-up in 2019 all my heroes yep. are cornballs mm -hmm. there's a lot of cool ideas really cool ideas but man do i wish it would calm down just a little bit from time to time so that it could explore some of those ideas more fully um occasionally the album does do that so track five give up your life which i suppose is probably the first in instance on the entire record where we get any type of traditional song structure in a modern sense at least you know, it does begin to calm down. It's like, okay, yeah, this is a good song here. The server is immersed, settles down just about long enough for me to get a sense of what the song is actually doing. <laughs> uh, I'd say the same goes for the breezy pop rock ditty of Wake Up in Rotation. And I love that song. That's a great song. Because that is, you stick it right at the end of the album when it's this great pop song. And then halfway through, they just, it sounds like it's melting. Yes. Yeah. Mad shit mad shit it's less than three minutes long you can't be you can't even even though it's two minutes and 56 seconds you can't help yourself but ruin it at the end and i not ruin it but like fuck with it to the point where most normal people will go what are you doing yeah i they, like that undoubtedly they are doing some really weird shit on this record and as a amateur musician I'm really interested in like how they do a lot of this record because it sounds fucking bonkers. Um, it's not really like me to bemoan the fact that a song structure is atypical, but the songs on Entertainment Death, for the most part, refuse to ever settle into something that I 
can feel settled in, in the main. Uh, there's an art to making these really diverse albums. And it feels ironically that Entertainment Death wants to impress me more than it wants to entertain me. And I think that's my issue <laughs> with the record. I, I would counter that by going i don't think they want to impress you well <laughs> i don't think and they de- i don't think they want to entertain you but i don't think they want to impress you either uh, you I might be right they, you yeah, might I be think right they want i think they want apart from about 10 people i think they want you to go what's this shit well and to I be fair they probably find that really funny to be fair whether they they do want to impress me or not they have like i'm super mm-hmm. impressed by this album it's really impressive i cannot deny the craft that has gone into putting this album together because i mean the key thing that i haven't said yet is all of those disparate parts they do run together really cohesively to the point where this almost feels like one song rather than 12 individual tracks either one song or a thousand songs <laughs> yeah 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 and and either and both of those conclusions feel equally correct (laughs) one song or (laughs) a thousand songs is that such a terrible thing no not at all but my experience listening to the album and again highlighting the caveat that i may not have given this as much time as it deserves it's been quite a busy week my apologies spirit of the beehive always (laughs) I don't apologize to everyone, you know, uh, but it, it, that can be very frustrating to me. Uh, but this is a good record and I I think everyone should listen to it. Well, I'm going to give it this, right? So, I mean, you get a song like Rapid and Complete Recovery. They kind of sound like a kind of weird alcoholic dad version of Gorillaz, right? <laughs> I love that. I mean, I think, I mean, when we do get to I Suck the Devil's Cock as a, as a song, I mean, it's the longest song on the record and th- that is fucking horrible. Like, as a song really horrible. Rather, rather than as an activity because we're, we're already there with the activity, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd rather suck the devil's cock than and then have to listen to that album, listen to that song because, I mean, we're about to talk about Panopticon, who are a fucking black metal band, and I'd say that's th- that song is heavier than anything on the Panopticon album. It yeah. is a, just a noisy, horrible, horrible, nasty shit in your pants. It is like a soiled nappy of a song, and if you but if you dig the idea of something like Tame Impala, but played by the dillinger escape plan i reckon you'll probably really dig this record but my god yeah more than four listens i'd say either give it more than four listens or no listens because like you might not have the best time with this if this is sort of the the thing that you like we've just spoken about a jazz you know a a full-blown jazz band and i would normally jazz is like say got this chin strokey reputation for being all this stuff for me Sons of Kemet album is far more listenable than this. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Comfortably. And this is like an electro rock band, so they say. It ain't churches, mate. I'll tell you that for free. (laughs) It is not churches. But I like Spirit of the Bee. I think they're jokers. I mean, I don't know if they want to be thought of as jokers, but they make me laugh because they're just fucking mad. They've got all the ingredients to be like a really good kind of electro rock indie indie electro rock band. And they've just gone, nah. They clearly don't want to do that. Yeah. Don't want to do it at all. And more power to them. (laughs) Genuinely more power to them. That's really cool. This does feel genuinely inventive and odd and strange. I can't get behind it as much in the way that you do. But fuck me, I'm glad it exists. And 
I will definitely be going back to it and giving it the time that I think it does deserve. At least, and mm. probably at least another four listens, to be fair, before yeah, I it's actually cool. come to a, my conclusion. It's cool. So there you go. Um, it's called Entertainment Death by Spirit of the Beehive. Approach with caution. Let's move on to our next album. It comes from, as I mentioned already, Panopticon. And again, Into the Light, the ninth studio album from the US black metal band, although they are a bit more than just a standard black metal or post-black metal band, if we're being real here. It's a follow-up to 2018's The Scars of Man on the Once Nameless Wilderness. I've always heard the name Panopticon. You know, they're sort of get mentioned a lot of sort of hipster black metal things, don't they? So, of course, I'm going to have heard of them because they get covered by a lot of things I pay attention to. But I have to be honest, I'd never listened to Panopticon before. Had you, Renfrew? You have, though, haven't you? Renfrew? I had, yeah. I was made aware of Panopticon because they were due to play their 2012 album, Kentucky, in full at Roadburn Festival. I have to confess, I can't remember now if that did go ahead or if it was scuppered by the pandemic. I can't even remember, to be totally honest. But them playing it in full did make me go, oh, yeah, Panopticon, I've heard of them. I'm going to check that album out. Uh, so I did. And I fucking loved it. Um, I was really intrigued when reading about the album of its mix of deep South Americana and black metal. Um, I sort of like Titus Andronicus meets Dark Throne. And I really liked the sound of that. And when I checked the record itself out, it was even better than than my the imagined picture I had in my head. So yeah, I really, that's the only record of theirs I've heard, I'll confess, of the nine that they have. But that's a really good album. Um, and a really interesting combination. And yes, I guess that post-black metal tag can be applied. But at the same time, I really, really do feel like Panopticon have their own thing going on. I don't think anyone else is really doing this, I would say. I am struggling to think of anything which really... I mean, we were talking about it the other day, and Solstice Fear was something, but then that's much more European-sounding. Yeah. This is, like you say... Americana. Classic kind of Americana. Classic American instruments. And just to get this off of Wikipedia, uh, the music features many familiar elements of black metal, but additionally incorporates blues, bluegrass and Appalachian folk. In addition to sounds typical to heavy metal music, such as distorted guitars and rapid drumming, <laughs> blast beats, yeah. Panopticon also incorporates a diverse range of additional instrumentation, such as banjos, fiddles, bells, synthesizers and acoustic guitars. True. All of that is true. All and. Of that is true. You know, you look at that and you go, well, I suppose like people have had a go at doing kind of folksy black metal and yada, yada, yada before. Uh, not really like this. Yes. Um, yes, I am glad you've brought this up. I don't think the term, and I know you haven't quite used it there, but I don't think the term folk metal is particularly helpful when it comes to describing this record, even though there is a, a, a fair share of folk on it and there's a fair share of metal on it. Um why is it not helpful? Because the term folk metal conjures associations, none of which I think this record, and I'm going to say it, Steve, suffers from. Um, what are those associations? I'm just talking to myself now. Shall I just do the rest of the podcast? No, no, go on. I'm listening. I'll just stop talking. Come on. No, I was just referring to the fact that I keep asking myself a question and then answering yeah. it like a dick. Um, <laughs> what are those associations? Cheesiness. Uh, we've described mm. it as a hey, nonny, nonny factor. <laughs> when we yes. last did the Nightwish record, that sort of, 
yeah, that more European, almost power metal esque folk relationship that those two subgenres have. Those two genres, subgenres. I guess coming from America, it's a, it's a folk in America is a completely, completely different thing different to folk thing. in Europe. Yes, and I would say probably um, I'm more interested in Americana, uh, bluegrassy country folk than I am. So am I. You know, real kind of hey nonny nonny. You know that kind of British yeah. European style thing and ergo that's why i think this works really really well and i think it makes i tell you what i'd got a bit like black metal is something where you know i'm not a massive black metal fan to be perfectly honest i'm not the world's biggest black metal aficionado but cowboy black metal is a cool thing to do it's wicked and the black metal really pops out when it comes in and you know the other thing about it as well is it doesn't doesn't get quote unquote heavy for quite a long time on this record. It's quite a long time before you hear anything kind of heavy, heavy, anything kind of scabrous and extreme metally. And I was a bit like, oh, it's going to be one of those extreme metal albums from one of the extreme metal bands where it never actually gets heavy. It's just more kind of continually ethereal and a bit doomy and dark and stuff. But actually, when he goes into the sort of blast beats, tremolo picking, the the black metal bits, it is fucking heavy as well it is proper extreme metal and the the kind of the meld between those two things it's wicked man it's really great i agree entirely um it's a masterfully subtle record that and and you you simply just don't see that kind of masterful um subtle craft in many black metal albums in my opinion i mean again i'm saying that as someone who is not an expert so i feel like we might get a few suggestions where they go well actually just blah 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 and that's fine you know please do send them to me don't do it like a dick um but how many black metal albums take 10 minutes before the solid black metal foundation and the heart of the record is exposed Mm -hmm. Like I just said, I'm not an expert in the subgenre, but I would wager not many. And it's a good 10 minutes before you hear anything which even sort of vaguely screams <laughs> screams black metal in this record, I would say. Um, at least 10 minutes. The four and a half minute opening title track builds quite beautifully with lots of those folk elements interwining to create a very rich tapestry. And it reminds me of, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with Woven Hand. Um, but brilliant artist who's a little bit yeah kind of yeah. come from i think i think he's on hydrahead if i'm remembering correctly but does not sound like a hydrahead band at all but like has a lot of those folksy elements i also think it's um reminiscent of certain aspects of arabrot which we covered a few months ago um uh, yeah i can kind of i guess i can see that with the kind of americana thing more than the black metal thing to be fair maybe not specific yeah that, that yeah that's what i'm referring to maybe mm. not specifically that record if i'm honest the norwegian gothic one that we covered but their career more broadly i think there are arabrot elements in this okay. absolutely um i said that i try to um avoid the folk metal um association I know you've already mentioned it, but I'm tr- I'm also sort of trying to avoid the post-black metal thing, even though, yes, you could argue that there are undeniably comparison points to be made with the atmospheric end of the black metal spectrum. So your walls mm-hmm. in the throne rooms, your Nactimistiums. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, even the ruins of Beverast, I think, um, mm-hmm. for example. But Panopticon actually, I think, purposefully truncate many elements of their black metal um 
attack, for want of a better word, in order to make the other folky and more symphonic elements of their sound shine through. I remember finding it a really odd um, choice, the way that they'd recorded the black metal elements when I first listened to Kentucky, as if those elements had been recorded underwater in a swimming pool, you know. And that might frustrate some, and certainly when I first listened to Kentucky, I was a bit like, this has been recorded in quite a weird way. But I actually think it provides this kind of blackened maelstromic, not sure if that's a word, um, foundation underneath for these beautifully evocative strings and choral parts to, to come through. It's almost like a, 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 a marshy, sludgy, black metal-y bed for those other elements and i actually think when you shift your thinking ever so slightly and look at it from that perspective i think that's really really cool i'm sure there are a lot of people who listen to more traditional black metal and 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 say that it's been recorded quote unquote badly but i personally think that 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 is a choice and once you switch your kind of thinking to that and, and see it in that way i think that makes total sense Certainly the production is very similar to Kentucky on this record. Well, I haven't heard that record, Mm. so I can't say whether that's true or not. I've got nothing to kind of say uh, regarding that, to be perfectly honest. But all I will say is just that in isolation, I mean, it's made me go, I should listen to Panopticon. I certainly want to listen to Kentucky. Um, That's great. And I mean, you know, I think when when you're listening to music, like at the start of Rope Burns Exit, which yeah. goes from kind of this orchestral fiddle into, and when the black metal bits come in, they just sound totally destructive and amazing. Yeah. And it just makes everything sound so much more exciting. I mean, it's not your typical black metal album. It's not your typical post black metal album. No. Seems to me like they are a very unique band. Um, he's got a really, again, just things as simple as like having a really good grasp of melody when you are using those those parts like just being able to to use melody in a way that sort of sticks in your mind you know there's parts of this album that are kind of running through my head as we sit here now that i remember and that's not always true of like just extreme metal in general you know what i mean especially the kind of quite esoteric odd challenging post whatever extreme metal you know like sometimes you listen to it and you go this is really good and then it's gone from your brain immediately but there's a lot that's actually really memorable about this record i think so it is good it's really good there's some beautiful um melodic vocal lines on this album and yeah i think you're absolutely right that um that often isn't seen as a very important thing in this kind of Mm. black metal and i understand why uh but at the same time it is nice to hear it done on a record like this for the, for nice the layman's yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's nice to hear it done well um there's a song called a snowless winter which builds over 12 minutes to this choir and ferocious drumming and a full-on slasher topper mountain guitar solo it sounds absolutely glorious and yet at the same time despite all those elements being mixed together it never once sounds pompous or ridiculous Mm-hmm. Um, there are power metal elements on this record, but at no point does it become self-indulgent in its bombast. God, that's a wanky thing to say, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Fine. It, it, it's 71 minutes, this album. It's the longest album we're covering this week. 
in a week of long albums in a week of long albums it's been quite a busy prep for this show um but let the whole thing wash over you and i assure you it will feel like you're listening to an album that is well shy of that 71 running minute running time the first time i listened to this they're very much when it stops there were very much was a sense of not is that it because i'd been on a hell of a journey but also oh fuck i've thought there was another couple of tracks on this we're talking about an album three of the songs are 12 minutes plus it's an amazing thing it's an amazing thing to do critics sometimes talk about albums to get lost in well this is definitely one of those albums you can absolutely get lost in this record um i fucking love this album um i think kentucky is a brilliant brilliant record and it was a brilliant introduction to panopticon for me i think this would be a brilliant introduction to panopticon for anyone else as well and um i i feel like it's a little bit early to say but i think i might even slightly prefer this record i think it's fucking great and i would also say that it is my favorite album of the week i think by 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 a small margin by a small margin to be fair the panopticon record the sons of kemet record and and actually the dark knights soundtrack are Mm -hmm. all really fucking close to my number Mm -hmm. one but gun to head i'd be like panopticon please take that gun away from my face yeah gun to head the only band that can play our tangent (laughs) the band that you've picked yeah (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't, no sons of kemet could totally play art tangent no i, I don't I, think I, they'd want to they might not want to but they yeah. would absolutely be welcome well at art tangent I, I i would i'd say spirit of the beehive could play art tangent to be yeah, fair yeah yeah definitely i think maybe squid might we'll discuss whether or not squid i mean squid probably wouldn't want to really but anyway and into and again into the light by panopticon is out right now it's very good as well and let's end with squid and discuss whether or not they would fit in at arc tangent because obviously that is uh, everybody's main goal in life isn't it um, <laughs> it, it is a lot of bands goal to be fair it, no no so. i know uh, it probably is but this is a slightly different thing i would say in fact i actually think this probably would be perfectly fine this is a debut album from the brighton based post-punk band um who are again really quite fucking weird to be perfectly honest i absolutely love this record i think it's wicked i think it's a mix of mccluskey art brute spy versus spy and the fool basically it's all those things but it never feels like too thank you yes it never feels like it's too much hard work or too self-important again i don't think this is a pretentious record it's like hear me out on this one if black country new road (laughs) decided to form an a tribute band (laughs) (laughs) uh okay um right sort of um we're in the same territory here as we have been before with um black midi you've already mentioned black country new road maybe to a lesser extent fontaine's dc and idols um Mm -hmm. It's funny because for a long while it hasn't really felt like there's been a strong kind of sonic movement in any genre or subgenre for quite some time. And yet here we are with a lot of post-punk music being pushed to the fore, particularly mm. by critics, even if in general, I would say that I don't think the general public are quite going as doolally for this stuff as some critics would have you believe. I don't think they are. No, 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 I don't think they are. But I mean, 
It doesn't make it doesn't make it bad, does it? No, no, it, it absolutely doesn't make it bad. And and as I think I have expressed on this show before, I'm at least interesting music is being pushed. Like undoubtedly, no one could say that either of those bands, in my opinion, are not at least interesting. And Squid have definitely joined that pile, one hundred percent. Um. I'm just going to say, I just I love this album. I think I like the. I tell you what I love about it. Actually, I say I love this record. I do. I, re, I, I really do like it a lot. It's a little bit too long, if we're being honest. I think that's something which we say about albums all the time. So we've not said it this week. We might as well say it. Um, and you know the connection. But, but to, it is too long. Yeah. But it is too long. Yeah. But the connection to stuff like Black Midi and um, Black Country New Road are, you know, we both made that connection. Um, and I said to you on the phone yesterday, and I didn't mean this as an insult in any way, but if those two bands are Blur and Oasis, then Squid are Three Colors Red, which is no shade to them because I love Three Colors Red. I think that does. Th- it sounds like shade, but it's not. It does, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. But it's not. <laughs> I really love Three Colors Red, and I think there's something that, and it almost doesn't even really work because Oasis aren't particularly challenging but but i think i think there is potential to have a band from that scene that you've just been talking about your fontaines fontaines dc actually i think are are trying to write kind of songs basically but idols esoteric as fuck the two bands you've spoken about black country new road black midi like real real fucking difficult don't give particularly give that much of a shit about actual kind of songs and i don't think people who like this type of music really go into it going like i want a club banger do you know what i mean i no. want a big i don't i want a big dumb new metal song but no. but i think there is something that can be done with this style which kind of sits between those two bands and gives you something a little bit more instantaneous which is you know like i say that's not what these people want particularly but i quite want it and i think squid don't fully commit to it either way i'd love to hear a black midi style band commit purely to three minute long bangers and i think squid could do that because hmm. you know you've got the opening song proper gsk is a proper mad old ride hmm. and when they're going fucking mad in fact the first three songs i think are proper amazing and there's a, a bit in the third track narrator where it all goes to shit and you get a kind of sexy lady voice being all sultry and then it's sort of like she's voice eh? Yes, it's like she's basically getting murdered. It's like the great gig in the sky or knife party, but via a serial killer. And it's got this kind of new wave via Britpop thing going on that I think is really, really cool. And I think it shows that Squid could be the band if they really honed in on it to do the, we can make this type of music, but we can make it super accessible in the same way as Biffy Clyro took um, a load of Discord Records bands and they've ended up bringing them to the O2. I'm not saying Squid are, are going to be that big, but I think the approach of going, let's make songs that appeal to everyone is something that they could do. I think that's actually very perceptive. I've not hit on that point myself, and I will be honest with you, whilst I do agree with you that there's the potential for that here, I don't think that they have quite hit on that with this album yet. Although there are definitely moments where it does uh, get the bullseye for what you're saying there. Um, I want to cycle back just a little bit. You've gone into the record a little bit, but I wanted to just have a take a look at the critical appraisal for this album in general because you have sort of already said that you like this album. This is a this, you think this is a very good album, a good album. Do really, really like it a lot. Really like it. Yeah. Okay, so the critical appraisal for this album, which is a debut, let's remind yep. everyone, it has perfect scores in Enemy and the line mm-hmm. of best fit. Uh, 9 out of 10 or the equivalent of on the quietest DIY magazine Clash, Uncut and Exclaim 
an 8.0 on Pitchfork and a 4 out of 5 on both the Independent and in Mojo magazine. And then there's a couple of 3 out of 5s which bring the overall Metacritic score down to 89 out of 100. But we're still talking about, at time of recording at least, the 7th best album of the year in Metacritic's chart for this year. Ooh, wow! And the 2nd best debut release of the year after the self-titled album from For Those I Love, a.k.a. the solo project of Dublin-based producer David Balfe don't know who he is i just copy and pasted that bit um i have to say the first time i listened to bright green field i didn't know any of that stuff because i'd not looked it up at that point and when i did discover its placing amongst critics my reaction was really uh that's not because bright green field is a bad album because it's not but there are undoubtedly better examples of what squid are doing out there at the moment aren't there steve um Yes, I, I, I think we've mentioned two of them um, ad nauseum at this point, so I'm not going to say those two bands' names again, but they are both probably better at doing that thing. But I think it's kind of a song like, okay, so Documentary Filmmaker is one of the songs on the record where I was like, you know, this is four and a half minutes long. And it doesn't really do that much to convince me. And I kind of wanted him to go mad. Rubbish. It. I think yeah, that's rubbish. Yeah, and it... I wanted the wacky stuff and it never comes. Yeah. I mean, I don't have to wait long. I mean, 2010 no. does that kind of mm. nigh on immediately. I think like, there's a song called Pill Street, which is part idols and part fall of Troy and part editors. And it's great. It's not too long. It gets in, goes mad, does the job. Off you go. Whereas like Global Groove and Pamphlets, which close the album, both rely on building tension and being slower and, mm -hmm. you know, having less tempo. Although I have to say, I do like the end of Pamphlets. I think that's pretty good. I think they need to distill all of that energy down to a bit. And they might actually be, if they do that, they might actually be a less musically interesting band. But I think they'll be a much more enjoyable one. Yes. Um, I'm jumping ahead a tiny bit here. But whilst there is a lot of wheat on this record, there's also quite a bit of chaff, to be honest. Um, one band I have yet to mention um, is I Like Trains which, to be honest, I think yeah. is probably the most bang-on comparison point that we could have. Um, it's not the best one to bring up because I Like Trains are probably undoubtedly the smallest of those bands. Um, very unfairly as well, because they're arguably I mean, I'm the just best. Looking, this got um, to number four in the UK album charts. I had no idea. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's done really, 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 really well, this record. But especially, I think, when it comes to the sense of humour that Squid employ... Uh, which will be probably be the main thing at this point that marks them out from your black middies and your black country new roads, I think. I think yeah. I think the difference, though, apart from the fact that that last I Like Trains album, Compromat, is clearly a more competently put together record as a whole. Yeah, and, you know, definitely. It, it felt like Compromat had a lot more to say about the state of the nation than bright green field does and i know that there is a lot of humor put into this and all that sort of thing but i also do think that it is trying to say something about mm. um you know about where we are and what's happening in the world and politics and yada yada yada, yada. um slightly more kind of um tongue-in-cheek it's a bit more it's a bit more park life i think than it is 
True. You know. True. Well, so I, I actually found a brief kind of um, description of what the album is and the concept behind it is. Um, Bright Green Field, the record uh, exists. I think this is from the enemy. Uh, exists in a, an imaginary cityscape with the songs illustrating the places, events and architecture that exist within it. The band say that previous projects were playful and concerned with characters, but now the emotional of the, the emotional depth of the music has deepened. Um, oh mm, that's all very interesting. And maybe there's something really profound to be found in a line like, and the eggs are always cheaper the day after Easter. But mm -hmm. if well, they're, they're not anymore, are they? <laughs> Which is you're furious about. Yeah. Uh, sorry to bring that up, mate. I know that's very difficult that's for you. Hurt. It's triggering. Um, but if there is something profound to be found that in that line, I will hold my hands up here and say I have not figured out what that actually is. Um, <laughs> it certainly didn't have an effect on me in the same way that a line like the truth is no longer concerned with the facts to take just one line from compromise at random does that said bright greenfields does provide some food for thought i think in lines such as what's your favorite war on tv just before you go to sleep and then your favorite sitcom watch the tears roll down your cheek on global groove and it shows that whilst um lead vocalist and, and drummer actually of this band uh what's his name his name is ollie judge thank you Whilst Ollie Judge has a little way to go, I think, when it comes to crafting meaningful lyrics across an entire album, he is clearly capable of giving of giving the listener some food for thought, even if it never feels quite as insightful as the sort of barbs that um, I Like Trains vocalist David Martin could write in his sleep. Um, interesting. I do have something to pick you up on slightly. You said that this record isn't pretentious. I feel it's more playful than pretentious, to be honest. Mm. Uh, the case, the case for the prosecution. Uh, I think some of this record, I, I, I don't, I, no, I don't think this record is pretentious as a whole, but I certainly think some of this record really does drift into quite pretentious avenues, if I'm honest. Um, Squid at this point in their career are simply not good enough to be able to sustain the four odd minutes of noisy synth effects that acts as an outro to boy races and actually make it interesting or engaging in any way yeah. shape or form. I, boy after the first couple of songs i was like great and then boy races started and i was like great you know they're doing something a bit you know doing the kind of 80s thing yada yada yeah. and then by the end i was like oh and then we get a little bit of a run where i'm like Ugh. you know boy race end of boy races paddling documentary filmmaker i was like no nah, i'm not so sure about this mm. go back to doing the other thing and they kind of do like i say 2010 pill street the end of pamphlets i like the mix and i i think what i'm doing is i'm going this is a date moment. i wasn't aware of all this like hype around them and i didn't know they got number fucking four on the album charts that's mad but <laughs> but i have to say um you know like when i heard it and i listened to it and i was like they're really they, they'd be really good at writing pop songs like kind of yeah. weird little pop pop songs yeah and I, I think they should and i don't know if you're listening the boys from squid but you should do that 
You should do that. You'd be really, really fucking good at that. I think the other stuff, loads of people are doing that already, aren't they? Loads of people are doing it. And some people, are like, like with, all, with all due respect, they're doing it a little bit better than what you're doing it on this record. Quite so a lot do better. the do, do the pop songs. Just make some pop songs. I think when they go into the esoteric stuff, to be honest, they sound like a band who have ideas above their station. And... Hundred reasons. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, that's not me saying that Squid would will never be capable of doing that stuff, but I think it's too much of a strength of a stretch on your first full length to do that stuff and make it interesting, you know. Um you just named Paddling as a song which you didn't see as much of a highlight. I think Paddling is one of the best songs on the record. I mean, it's one of the most post-rock songs on the record, so that's probably why. Um, but you, you don't like Paddling? I think it's pretty good. I, no, I, no, actually, no, I think it's all right. I mean, it's all right. I don't really I, remember it off the top of my head now. It doesn't, so do, I, anything, I, it doesn't do anything new. It just grad gradually builds tension over six minutes and 17 seconds. It's, it's post-rock Yeah, stock, it does. It? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's well, why yeah, I that's why I don't... Yeah, I don't want... No, 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 no. Fuck that. Fuck that building tension shit. Off. Get in. <laughs> be weird and get the fuck out of town. Well, be, I, McC I, be, be McCluskey. Don't be Neurosis or whatever. Like, I, I want you... Don't be yeah. Mogwai. Be McCluskey. I, I, actually, I certainly agree that their strengths probably lie more in the McCluskeyisms than they do in the well, I'm just going to broadly say post-rockisms. Uh, but I quite like paddling, probably just because I'm a math, that sort of shit. The 2010, you mentioned already when it unexpectedly bursts through with that barrage of barrage of guitar noise. It's genuinely thrilling, and it shows that Squid are a band who are capable of putting their mind to really interesting, surprising, and unexpected things that do really work at times. Um, and yeah, I guess for me. I think the reason for me why the critical appraisal being like this album is amazing is OTT is because I feel more like it's Squid have the potential to be an amazing band. But goodness mm. me, they need to chop some shit off and just not concentrate on that stuff. Concentrate on this stuff instead, um, you know, or remarkably improve what they're doing if they're really keen on doing that esoteric stuff if they really want to do that stuff work on it work on it because you're not there yet so i i i personally feel like the chris i'm gonna cut this review off now because you're just saying like get better get better get better at them and uh, i get what you're saying yeah i agree but i just don't want to talk about them as a band anymore to be honest now i know that people like them <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> Boo! i thought you were underground Boo. Um, now i know that people like you and they've gotten a chance fuck that band no no i'm just joking I, I i i like the i like the fun stuff on this and that's all i can say about it it's not fucking five out of five though definitely not no. but i do re when it's good i think it's really good anyway yeah, there you just, go bright just, just just to finish off my point and round off this review it's clear to me at least that bright greenfield is not the finished article but that said when they do get it right such as on 2010 for example squid show a hell of a lot of promise and they th in my opinion they just have a way to go before they're actually as good as a lot of critics are saying but hey this is still interesting and it's worth checking out being just to see which way they go if they yeah. if they go down that documentary filmmaker route then i might be like oh dear but if yeah. they do go ah fuck it let's just be massive and write some songs that people like then great anyway there you go bright yes exactly i want everyone to be john Brecker. <laughs> bright greenfield by squid is out now that's it we're we've done two and a half hours so we should just fuck off basically next week i think we're probably going to do jesse and adam d from Killswitch engage being a little bit more introspective yeah in times of grace yeah yeah i'm really hoping we get 
the album from James Vincent McMorrow as well, who's a sort of folky. Oh, he's went from folk to like Stevie Wonder stuff. He's a very interesting Irish. I artist. need a piss so bad. Oh, okay. okay, I cannot cool, even cool. believe how bad yeah, I need yeah, a piss. Yeah, yeah. So no, that's why I'm no. trying to get you to shut the Lovely. fuck up. So yep. anyway, bye everyone. <laughs> bye.